One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. You're listening to highlights from the opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. To hear the full show, download the podcast from iTunes or see 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. What is the, the one thing that you hear, Ross, every single time around this weekend on this particular morning? Hey, uh, Egon Jazzin. Egon Jazzin. Egon Jazzin. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine telling jazzers last year that next year on the jazz weekend, well, the entire event's going to be cancelled, first of all. We're all going to be wearing masks in public. There'll be a thing called lockdown part two. You can't leave the house, you know, only to buy a bit of milk, mm-hmm. a little bit of bread. You can go for a little 5K walk, but it's just 5K. Yeah. Okay. You can't, you can't, you can't play golf. It's too dangerous. Yeah. But you can have, but you can have a full game of gas. Yeah, if you're good enough at it, yeah. if you're elite, it's it's it, less dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> if you're crap at guy, you can kill people. <laughs> Greyhound racing is an elite sport. It is, and banana bread will be your stable diet. Yeah, imagine telling people last jazz weekend that that's what's going on this weekend. They'd have put a tinfoil hat in your head. They really would. Uh, that's what's going on. Unfortunately, it's it's absolutely heartbreaking that we have, you know, we've nothing to look forward to in the sense of the biggest social weekend in Cork. For 30 odd years, yeah, more is not happening this year. So uh, it's, it's just, it's awful. It's, mm-hmm. It just completely deflates the place. Well, we'll try and find a little positive in the world for you today. Uh, welcome to the Opinion Line. This is Casey and over there is Mr. Ross Brown. Good morning. Uh, we are here with our trusty team to take you through until midday today. Now, uh, how was traffic out there this morning, by the way? Uh, if you were making your way into work, I know there was, there was checkpoints all over the place. How did you find it coming in? Uh, I had to avoid the link, or mm-hmm. the, I call it the link, the road. It's the south ring. The south ring. Yeah. I had to avoid it because as I went over the bridge by Carrigtool, I looked down and again there was another kilometre traffic jam. Okay. So I went the back road and went down town. All right. Because otherwise I'd been sitting there for an hour. Um, so we, we hear that it's not as hectic as yesterday, uh, but then we're not out there. You are. And then we're also hearing that there's six different checkpoints yeah. that are causing delays causing delays so guard the checkpoints have been causing uh, what it says here havoc across Cork City and County this morning the N20, uh, N25 from Carrigtool to Cove Cross uh, is the heaviest again this morning and also there's heavy delays at Little Island Dublin Road Commons Road South City Link and the South Ring Road what I want to know is uh, when you were coming in why is the traffic being funneled down into into one lane mm-hmm. and one, one person into, into, at certain checkpoints yeah. which is causing all this massive backlog here's something I want to know Yeah, why don't they wait and do the checkpoint after 9 o'clock at 3 in the morning no, because what they'll do is they'll catch the people that are having leisurely drives more likely then mm-hmm. instead of stopping everybody who's going into work. Yeah. Because everyone can turn around and say, yeah, I'm working in an office and I have to be in there. Yeah. Whereas why don't they catch people at 10 and say, what are you doing? 
I'm going to work. Where and there's more chance that those people will be going for a spin. Yeah, but why? Why is it so busy out there? I thought we were all supposed to be in lockdown again. Like, here's a question for you: Are you being made uh, going to work? Are you I heard told, this yesterday. Are you being told by your employer we need you in here? Yeah, I'm pressurized to go in. I'm pressurized yeah. to, to, to go in. Or is it a case of I've done lockdown one? I can't sort out a spreadsheet with a child sitting on my head. Mm-hmm. And I can't, I just can't work at home. Or my broadband's rubbish. Yeah. So you're being you're made going to work or you, you just have no choice, but you've got to go into work. Yeah. Uh, so if you're in that situation, you might let us know, please. Uh, the number, if you want to get in contact with us, uh, 1850 715 to pick up the phone and give us a call. Or you can text in 0833 96 96 96. That is our number. Text or WhatsApp. Uh, we would love to hear from you this morning. Loads coming up on the show this morning. We're going to talk to Dermot Bannon. Um, huge fan of Dermot Bannon. I love his shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something about renovation TV that we all love. Oh yeah, it's, 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 an, it's an overhaul of the things that annoy it, you about your own house. It's kind of as well as that. I think there's a little bit uh, psych- psychology behind it in the sense that you're peeping over the wall, looking at what are they doing? Yeah, it's voyeurism. What are they doing? Yeah. Where do they get the money for that? Oh, yeah, and who wants a heart of a fireplace <laughs> like that? Look at the socks and the red. <laughs> <laughs> there's a bit of that. Uh, Dermot Bannon's incredible homes. He's coming to Goline uh, this Sunday on RTE uh, to look at an. Absolutely incredible home. It's a Dolly Parton song, isn't it? Yeah. Goalie. <laughs> we'll chat about that later on. Um, Sinn Féin President Mary Lou MacDonald will be on the show with us later on this morning. We're looking forward to having a chat with her. And Traveller comedian Martin Beans Ward. And the worst thing that can happen to any family uh, is having your doggy stolen. Mm-hmm. Dog napping is a huge issue. It's going on. And we'll have a chat to one man about his story. Uh, that is coming up pretty, pretty soon. Okay. So again, those numbers, 1850 uh, If you want to give us a shout this morning, we would love to hear from you. Now, as we head into the weekend and into the midterm, uh, the pressure is off for many parents as they can take a little bit of a break uh, from the early morning school rush. Well, a little bit of a break yeah. from the traffic is what you really want uh, so it's been a worrying time for parents over the past few weeks you've got to deal with the idea of keeping your kids in school at a time when many other aspects of society are closing down again uh, so let's chat to one mum who represents some of those concerns Olive is on the phone good morning Olive morning Olive morning how are you we're good how are you more importantly I'm not bad I'm not bad at all thanks very much no listen how many kids have you at home I have four. Uh, well, one is one should be in play school. She's our, our youngest, but our other three are secondary school kids. Okay. The the one thing, Olive, I suppose, that any parent wants to make sure is a decision that won't be... that It's in their child's best interest, first of all. Um, so what's your main concern about sending your kids back to school? Is it the possibility of them, first of all, getting COVID or is it getting it and taking it home? What's What's your real concern? Uh, both, I suppose. So I yeah. suppose everybody in our family would be high risking, including my four children, uh, would be high risk. So um, I suppose the, the first concern is them. Obviously, that's my biggest concern. And then um, my husband as well would be high risk. So there, there's there's two two parts of it for us. But essentially, we're a family who have cocooned since the beginning of um, time with uh, COVID. Um, but my girls actually, um, one of my girls, my eldest, uh, didn't go back to school this year. Um, she's in leaving cert. She didn't go back to school at all this year. Uh, she's very high risk and she was very worried about getting sick in the leaving cert year in particular. Yeah. Um, and she, she missed a lot normally with her other health condition. Um, my other two girls did go back in. Uh, we spoke to the school uh, before they went back and they our school are brilliant. They've done the best that they could do with protocols and everything. So I felt... Okay, you know, if you want to go back, 
do give it a go uh, because they've had numerous kind of very serious illnesses and there's been chemo and heart surgery and so on and they're very my girls are very practiced on hygiene and safety so I, I felt okay um, but uh, come about a week and a half maybe two weeks ago I um, did make a decision um, to say no I'm going to take you out of school again uh, because I had been looking at the data I'd been looking at the numbers um, looking at local uh, cases and I said look I think it's just gone into that risky zone again so I have taken uh, my girls out again. Okay. So they, they've, they, they've split everybody apart and they've told people that you can't do things in groups and they're mm. saying that people in workplaces should separate and also not even be in the same building together. Mm-hmm. Yet everybody is connected through their kids because for every two adults in a household, there could be six kids, there could be four kids and those kids absolutely. all go to different schools and yeah. absolutely. six degrees absolutely. of separation. Yeah, yeah. Mm. and, and the, the biggest thing here is, I suppose what's really important to highlight is First of all, like, remember, you know, the department were very, very late coming in, giving the skills, all the guidelines and money and everything else to get everything set up. And the, the, the teachers and principals have done their absolute best to do what they can. But we have one of the biggest issues in Ireland. So when, when we're compared to a country like Denmark, we are way over capacity when it comes to our classroom sizes. And one of the rules of thumb that we're told every single day is to wear your masks and wash socially distance. You can't do that in classrooms when there's only one metre distance. Um, and also in yards, you know, the kids aren't wearing masks and they're not distancing in yards and so on and so forth. Um, I think um, for myself in particular, um, we're very lucky with my kids being off right now that we're actually getting the access uh, to the schools so my girls can video team in and they can actually see the classes. Uh, there's, a, there's a whole other area of children that aren't getting that service. And what's happening to them is their um, their families would be high risk, not the child, and they don't get any service at all from the school. And it's not the school's fault, it's actually the department are advising that only children who are unwell can have access to remote learning from the school, but kids whose family members um, are unwell aren't entitled to that same service, which I feel is very wrong. And um, it, it kind of leads me to the point of if, if we should close the schools or open the schools um, after midterm, there is a balanced approach that could be taken on this. If the Department of Health or Education, they, I suppose, advocated that those children who are um, have family members who are high risk or maybe worried parents, um, just with the numbers going up, if they allow them to stay at home and the parents that wanted their children to go in could, what you would immediately have there is you'd have reduced class sizes. So your class sizes might get down to reasonable numbers where there would be allowance for two metre distance and and the children who are, you know, who had family members who are very sick, they could stay home for the time being while case numbers are up. And it, it could be a balanced approach, but I'm not sure if our government, government's very good at doing something like that. Yeah, yeah that's, the, that's the other side of it. Um, uh, Olive, if, if you were to read the medical advice, and the medical advice will suggest that it's safe within, within all reasonable bounds of risk, and reports suggest that the real harm to the kids is keeping them out of school. No, it, I wouldn't. I wouldn't agree. I think um, there is a real risk. So um, I've been on your show before, and thank you for that. But my uh, my children got swine flu uh, back in two thousand nine. The schools were all left open, and my kids were the first kids to get it, and they were very very sick. And have lived two of them have lived with long term implications from that. So what I would be saying is, when you, my husband also has a small business, what he had to do, he nearly had to move water to get that business. Uh, up to like the COVID-19 standard I suppose according to the Health and Safety Authority and yes 
in in his place he can be closed down if there's even one like link or anything to like you know po- someone possibly having COVID. Whereas in the school, um, what they're doing is they've got children there beside each other in different classrooms while they're wearing masks for secondary school kids, and that is really really important. The problem is within the yard, and um, then little bubbles or pods or whatever you want to call them, and uh, they're gone. Uh, that's removed and that's unsafe. And we know that um, you can get um, uh, COVID from, you know, being close to somebody outdoors. And I think there was a member of the GAA saying last night, he he was himself taken aback when the HSE said in contact tracing that all the team, even though they were outside, all the team had to get tested as well or they were classed as, con- as close contacts. And he was taken aback, but that doesn't surprise me. So I, I think it's about um, weighing the risks up um, I think if a school is able to do social distancing and masks um, and hygiene and all the rest of it that goes with it, fair enough. But if a school is over capacity and the, you've got um, high-risk teachers, uh, and not even high-risk teachers, healthy people can get very sick as well. Mm-hmm. You're putting them into a situation where you have 20-plus uh, children crammed into a, a, a space where um, you know there isn't a huge amount of ventilation. There is a risk, of course there is, so I don't think it's right or fair for them to bracket all skills within all skills are safe because not all two skills are the same. You're talking about um, your concerns and your fears and saying that, you know, there's high-risk people um, in, your, in, your, in your house and everything. Um, talk me through what is your worst-case scenario. So verbalise your fear for me and tell me what is the thing that would keep you up at night when you're thinking about this? What is your worst-case scenario? My worst case scenario, obviously, is like, as I said, we have, um, my, my husband had uh, too many strokes down the last few years. My youngest is awaiting heart surgery. Um, we have, we our children are very high risk. If one of us got it in our house, it would impact the whole house. And on top of that, looking at the data, looking at what's actually happened, happening at the moment, um, we, we like in October alone, we're looking at 25 children under 15 have been hospitalised. People aren't talking about that. That's very, very important. A child is not sent into hospital with COVID unless they are very sick. So my worst case scenario is obviously my children getting sick, but also my husband. I have a health condition, but I kind of put myself on the back burner. But my husband, I'd be so, so concerned if anything happened to him. And this is the thing that also needs to be looked at when we talk about mental health of children. There's a lot of children, as I said before, they're not actually sick, but maybe their parents or their siblings are. They they feel they have to go to school because that's what they're being advised and they're not getting the service they need with that remote learning. So what's happening is these kids are going in and they are actually really, really scared and worried they're going to bring it back to their loved ones who are very, very high risk and could potentially die from this. That's an awful burden to put on a child um, and especially a child who who understands it, you know, a child who might be aged over eight on, onwards, they would understand enough about COVID-19 that it's serious and understand that mummy or daddy or their brother or sister could be sick. Um, and that's an awful burden to put on a child to, to say to them, you know, going to school, it's okay. But if that child got sick and came home and something happened to anybody else, mm-hmm. they could potentially live with that burden. And, and that's something that, that does need to seriously be looked at. And that was the case for my eldest. She was very worried about herself, but her baby sister, who's three, she was like, Mom, what if, you know? And I was like, it's okay. But that, that was going through her head. And that's normal. It's normal to feel that way because we're being told every single day by the public health specialists 
you can get this, you can bring it home, wash your hands, la 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 la. The biggest place of getting it is in the home, so on and so forth. Um, the other thing I would also like to say is, you know, they keep saying school children numbers um, aren't going very, um, you know, are in, as a percentage against the other population um, aren't very high. And, and I think that's wrong to be, you know, putting the children up as a percentage against maybe 65-year-olds and so on and so forth. Like, we're looking at, in total, tre- over 12,000 children have had COVID since, um, COVID-19 um, since the beginning. But mm-hmm. in the last two months in particular, our numbers are jumping, like in the 5 to 14 age group, our numbers are jumping by about 1,000 uh, numbers in, in the space of one month. That's huge. Um, and then we've got the other issue. Children may not have symptoms and they go home and then, you know, they can pass it to other people. So my thing is, no, I think the Department of Oh, you there, Olive? We've just lost the line. She was oh, there. No. She's gone. Okay. Oh, there you are. There you are. I got you. She's back. She's back. No problem. I was going to ask you. I was it's one of those things. That you, your cheek hit the uh, mute button. Yeah. It happens all the time. You're back with us, Olive. Thanks, buddy. I did. I, did. I was. I, I was going to ask you, Olive. Um, what you're saying to me basically is that within your own household, uh, this is it, it's a life and death. Decision. It's, a, it's a life and death situation. It is. Do you and, f- and it's a decision that even if the school weren't given resources to my children, my children would not be in school because, in particular, we're, we're, they are in the very high risk group. Um, so, what I'd be saying is for for parents, that, like every school is different. We also need to look at teachers, and 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 that is a, a big issue: teachers, cleaners, administrative staff. You know, as I said, some schools are able to do it. I'm not saying schools aren't are aren't doing it. I'm saying sometimes they just can't because of the size of the school. We, we really do, do need to look at that situation and make it safer for everybody. Um, and it doesn't mean the schools have to close, but it does mean the department do need to be able to support high-risk teachers um, and any other staff. And, and most importantly, um, see if they can um, offer the same exact service they're offering children right now who are off because they have you know, good reason because they're sick to children who have family members who are high risk. That needs to be done. The schools could potentially stay open if they thought a little bit logically about it mm. and treated every child fairly. Olive, do, you, do, you, do you feel helpless, Olive? Pardon? Do you feel helpless? I do. I feel I feel right now, while my children are getting what they're getting, I, I feel really, really upset for the amount of parents that I've spoken to where um, they've basically been brushed off. Their children are left outside on their own. Um, in relation to COVID, because I'm taking action myself, I'm not afraid of any organisation coming in on me, yeah. but that's because I have reason. You know, I, I have grounds for mm-hmm. that. And um, there's an awful lot of parents that don't, and nobody should ever feel they have to put a child's education over their health. And health is the most important thing we all have. Um, at the end of the day, you know, there's, there's no point in being sick and trying to you know, go to school, you know, it, you, sh- you shouldn't have to make that decision and there should be support and the department should not be isolating any family out in this situation and allow people to make that choice. Olive, lovely to talk to you. You just sound like such a caring and loving mum because you've, you've put your kids ahead of everything and, you know, I think most parents are in that situation but I hope everything goes alright. Best of luck with everything and all the procedures uh, for the kids and everything, you. okay? I really appreciate it. And look, stay safe yourselves, okay? Thanks, Olive. Thanks, Take Olive. Care. Take care Bye. of yourself. Um, a tweet in here uh, from James saying, child in my six-year-old class confirmed with COVID, okay? Mm-hmm. And uh, my daughter not deemed close contact. 
How, yeah. how does that work? Uh, the class is the size of two transit vans. Is it any wonder we are where we are? Hashtag lockdown Ireland. Neve, where are you uh, coming in from? I'm um, coming in from Glenmire in Cork. I okay. moved back um, over two weeks ago from Bahrain. Bahrain. And uh, you, you you obviously had to take your, your two-week quarantine as is yes. the instructions. Okay. So I'm out of one and into another. Okay. All right. uh, how do you feel the government is handling this? Well, coming from where I came from, um, I, I just think looking at it from an outside point of view, um, they had the opportunity to get the hospitals ready. Um, way back eight months ago, whatever it was. And that's kind of where we're at on it, that they should have put the money into that and get to, uh, be prepared for it. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that's kind of, I'm not politically affiliated in any manner or means, but I just feel that they were kind that the money wasn't put into where it needed to be put into. Do you feel you that know? there's a lack of planning because everything seems to be, even the way that the schools are being communicated to, the way the workplaces are, the way the HSE is communicating to the government, it seems to be on a week-by-week week or day-to-day basis. There is no actual roadmap. They're, they're saying there is, but there actually isn't any planning because they're, I think they're more reactionary than, than you know, taking, taking, it, um, taking initiative on it. Well, the way I look at it is that this is going to be around forever. I am really deeply sorry to anybody who has lost, lost any bit of covid but the way I look at it is that shutting things down and doing this, it's just going to be rolling by rolling basis. It's going to be here forever. We need to look forward. I mean, where I came from, they shut the schools and the restaurants and um, the shops down um, back in February, and they've just started to open things back up again. Now, the numbers did go up very high in Bahrain. There was only one, there's one and a half million people, um, uh, but the death rate was low. Um but um, they just, um, out of the Middle Eastern countries, we were the ones who weren't locked up as much as the rest of them. Mm-hmm. Why, did they take, why did they take that approach, do you think? Um, because I think people just didn't, they weren't going to, ex- I not accept it, but I just think that for the whole mental health, and what's very important um, over there is, is family in, in the Muslim community, family, being with family, being able to share your 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 time and your meals with family is important. And that's why I know that the, the community contact did rise the cases. Um, but at the end of the day, they felt that people needed to be with each other. And that was kind of what, what um, happened. Like you had um, um, responsibility to yourself and that's what you needed to look at. And I think that's, we should be trusted with that. And I know that there's people who are going to flout it and break the law and so on and so forth. But like I'm back two weeks now and I haven't seen my parents you know, in a year and a half. They live, um, um, you know, 10 kilometres away and I, I can't see them, you know, so it's it's quite difficult. And there's many other people in this, the same situation as me. I understand that. But it's keeping people away from each other um, uh, families especially is not good mentally. People are just going to to suffer greatly, not just um, you know mental health or, or so on and so forth. And children also. I mean, people are saying shut the schools down. My son did virtual schooling since February. Hopefully, he's going back to school in November the second. I'm going to drop him off anyway. Yeah. But uh, um, uh, he like he was virtual schooling since February, and basically. And when it came to September, he actually just kind of shut down because it's like watching a screen and the, the teachers were fantastic. 
I was trying my best to, luckily, I, I, I didn't work. Um, I could sit with him and do the stuff. But they just zone out. It's not going in at all. So the virtual schooling is, is very difficult for them. And also, they need the interaction to play, to be able to go out and just run about. Because sitting in front of Fortnite or any of the other games, yeah. it's not mentally good for them, you know? It's, it's like class, sitting in a classroom is only a small part of the experience of going to school. The actual important part is the interactions between between other kids. That's what really helps development. Exactly. And and I, I just, after seeing him um, being um, on virtual school since February, and when we got to September, and then just before we came back, I actually took him off it because he was finding it frustrating. He was getting bored, and the teachers were doing their best, but it, it's just not possible to, to kind of keep them engaged when they're looking at a screen. Do you think when you, when you said earlier about um, you know the the importance over in Bahrain of people having you know the social aspect of people being able to have meals with their families and stuff, and then one person came into the country and didn't self quarantine and infected sixty people, um, and uh, speaking of someone who's got someone immunocompromised in my house, do you think somebody being able to sit down and have a meal with their family is more important than somebody not seeing their mother or wife on a ventilator? Well, the thing is, is that it's not more important. But the other thing is, if you do come into the country and you're meant to self-isolate for two weeks, that's not, that be it on your own head. You know, mm-hmm. everyone's responsible for their own, what they do themselves. Like, um, you know, if you go and um, have your food or, or meet your family it's not doesn't mean you have to sit on their lap or, or, or you know so on and so forth you can have your socially distanced um, dinner or you can you can call them the five kilometre radius thing is um, I don't know whether it's what, what, I don't know what good is it going to do mm. it's just hemming everybody into into kind of a melting pot you know, so I just, I, I, it's, it's funny times. I come back at that's probably the worst possible time, and it's, it's, it's difficult. I'm lucky that my nine-year-old is fairly adaptable. Yeah. He lives in many countries in his, in his young life, but it's, it's hard for everybody. I am, I understand the virus is, is here, and that, um, unfortunately, people are dying from it. But um, I, I just question. Um, the decisions that are made and there's no the plan for the future after six weeks you open it back up again people are going to go out mm-hmm. then are you going to lock down again lock down it's actually taking away just um, your right to be kind of free and go I know you don't I'm, I don't mean that in, the, in a sense of like spread the COVID but um, you know if you have to be responsible we need a better way to live with this this virus yeah. is here there's nothing we can yeah. do about it until the exactly. qu- until we get we get the the, the, right, the right vaccine that we need for yeah. it we have to learn to live with it better is, is really I think what, what a lot of people are saying and after your 14 day quarantine then Neve, what have you got to look forward to level 5 yeah. well um, I tell yeah. you because tomorrow's my birthday oh no jeez like, so the thing is, is that um, yeah, I, look, it is what it is. I mean, it, it, I just get on with it and um, it just have to get through it. Pick the days off and you know get to the first of December and just yeah. um, drive on from there. Sunny so. side out, Neve. Mind yourself and take care of that kid of yours as well. And uh, lovely to hear from you this morning. Okay, thank you. Good Take luck, care of yourself. All right, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six is the number. If you want to give us a shout, just got a text in. Just drove from Cove to Cork City from to work. Thirty minutes, no checkpoints this morning. Roads quiet. Now sitting in car. Shift starts at ten a.m. Not allowed to start early, but will be docked for being late yesterday. Thanks, government. You make some super mess of this. Not to mention sports, greyhounds, elite sports. It's <laughs> another <laughs> text into us at oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six. Text or WhatsApp on that number. Again, the checkpoints that were. 
apparently causing the havoc this morning were the N25 from Carrytool to Cove Cross. Uh, that was the heaviest this morning and also heavy delays at Little Island, Dublin Road, Cummins Road, South City Link and South Ring Road as well west. Hopefully uh, that will dissipate a little bit more as the days go on and as, uh, as we get further into lockdown and we'll get to a place where we don't have any traffic jams in the morning but for the last couple of mornings it's been far too busy out there. This is Court's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 96 96. On Court's 96 FM. Judy texted in. She said, Lads, it's a totally different kind of lockdown. Mm. All builders and builders' providers are open and working. Schools, and then, of course, some office workers who either don't want to work from home or have been asked to come in to work. Who else is in work that, that wasn't in work when the last lockdown was on? Totally different from the last one. And somebody else has gone on to us anonymously and said, Morning, lads, work in retail and sell curtains. The company have deemed themselves essential this time around. Oh, okay. But they weren't the last time. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so there's, uh, there's, there's that. And then loads of people are getting on about the schools as well, saying, lads, wasn't there a survey about the schools when they asked uh, pupils in secondary school um, about, uh, it's, it was the secondary school union survey, and it said that pupils were frightened, wanted more online learning, but more strict uh, strict conditions in school for the other part and of blended learning. Uh, and it looks like they haven't been, uh, they haven't been listened to. Uh, and then somebody else says, weren't they out protesting all the school students over climate change and the polar bears? Uh, save, save the bees and save the trees. Now they're in school, masked up, being poisoned and no one seems to care. So angry, these children uh, dopes uh, and they, they should be out uh, protesting. So yeah, yeah. There's, uh, there's a myriad of different views and... Uh, you know, the majority of them are coming from uh, from parents. There's a massive petition online at the moment to keep gyms open and it's been gathering mm-hmm. serious traction because it, it, for many people, is deemed an essential service. And I told you what's, what's happened over in Poland. Yeah. In order to keep a gym open, uh, one uh, gym over in Poland, uh, they're allowing mass to go ahead and they're allowing churches to stay open and they're allowing people to go into churches in Krakow in Poland. So what this guy came up with, which is absolutely genius, he turned his gym into a church. So now it's the gym, it's the gym of the, the hot holy bo- body. The holy body or the hot body. <laughs> so what you do is, when, you, when you're going for your workout, um, there's obviously somebody up there uh, reading from the Bible uh, yeah. on, on, on a pulpit up at the top of the gym. And that is... And they've left it open. Yeah. So if you're yeah. in the gym business, um, you've got a, you've got a few days to maybe turn that around and and uh, and maybe maybe they leave you alone. Listen, if Scientology yeah. was able to get themselves recognised as a religion for tax breaks, I'm sure <laughs> gyms can get themselves open. This is it. This is it. Right. It's uh, nine forty three on the opinion nine. Uh, what does your dog mean to you at home? One of the most important members of your family. Some people are so obsessed with their dogs; they love their dogs more than their kids. That's true. Okay. One hundred percent. I know somebody who prefers his alsatian to his nine-year-old. Right. And I think he might have told her as well. <laughs> Jokingly, of course. Here's Ricky Gervais talking about dogs. I get a fix. If I've scruffled like eight dogs uh, in the morning, I'm set up for the day. It's the greatest thing on the earth. A dog. They're amazing. They're, they're, they're magical. It's the closest I get to spirituality, just watching a dog. They're beautiful. They've got soul. They're amazing. They're brilliant. I couldn't... I couldn't invent a better thing. There's nothing as good. Not a car, not money, not a house. A dog, it's f***ing amazing. Me and Jane go for a walk every day, either in Hampstead or Central Park, and I meet dogs. Some I know now, I meet the same ones, I know their name, 
I meet a new one. Oh my god. I want to know what it is. I want to know its name is. I want to know what's in it. I want to I want to see its ears do that. I like the little walk. I'm like a toddler in a toy shop. He loves dogs. Yeah, I think he likes dogs. Uh, did you see a green puppy was born over in Italy? I didn't. Uh, a guy called Christian Mottolelli. Um I know I got that name right. It's my Italian. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, he couldn't believe his eyes when one of his eight puppies was born green. Are you saying green out colour-wise or are you saying green like he's good for the environment? I don't know. Maybe he's a, a wind-friendly puppy. I don't know. <laughs> Less emissions. The pup came out and was like, no single-use plastics. <laughs> he's, gr- he's a green-coloured puppy. All right. He's a tiny little green puppy. He looks incredible. Um, and a new mascot for St. Patrick's Day, perhaps. But the tiny dog, uh, they've called him Pistachio, nice. uh, was part of a five litter born on the 9th of October. And uh, he's making headlines all over the world. Now, can you imagine, uh, with all that love for your dog at home, um, if your dog goes missing and he doesn't just run off or she doesn't run off to the woods, but your dog is stolen. Yeah. And uh, you're left in a situation uh, where you don't know what to do. Uh, Jared McMahon is on the phone. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. Very good, thank you. During the first lockdown, we heard lots of stories about dogs uh, getting robbed. There was even rumours on social media that dog nappers were leaving marks outside of people's homes, uh, you know, highlighting properties that could be a good target to, to rob a dog. And it prompted for tougher punishments from those who steal dogs. Now TDs apparently are looking at a bill that would see thieves going to prison for 10 months. Uh, George, remind us what happened to your dog. It was uh, little Jake. He's a Springer Spaniel, right? Yeah. Jake went missing on an afternoon in the, towards the middle of June and he'd normally be around the place and um, my wife immediately thought that he, someone must have stolen him because he's always around the back of the house and if he was gone a little bit up to the farm, which we, we live in a farm, mm. you'd whistle him and he'd come back. And it's... when he wasn't back, when he wasn't around for his meal in the evening, then he had to be stolen. But it's completely out of character for him to vanish. But Springer's Spaniels are, are just, they're outdoor dogs. They're, they like running and jumping and they're very mm-hmm. active. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's unusual for him not to have come back to the house. So you, you, you right. knew, instinctively you knew he was yeah. gone, he'd been yeah. robbed. Yeah. Okay. Um, so so when, when the dog was missing, it was, you said it was missing for a few weeks and you just thought, that's it, there's, there's no hope of finding the dog again. Yeah, that's what we thought because we... We had tried everything with a, a notice up in the in the village in the shop, and um, we went on social media. I even put an ad on Dundee, and uh, nothing. Actually, on Dundee now, they don't take any ads for. Yeah, they've taken the ads off. Yeah, yeah. And a friend I, of yours spotted the appeal. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, a friend of mine was looking at a. I think there's a wild fowling website, and he noticed the dog on it because the. The dog would be sort of well known in in the in our circles here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, and he 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 thought it was my dog. Okay. So then I had to go through the process of proving it was my dog by sending photographs up. And my I had a lot of photographs of the dog on my phone, but my, the screen broke on my phone. But luckily, I had some photographs saved on my computer. Okay, good man. And it was a photograph of his back to confirm his identity because he didn't have to be microtagged at that stage. Okay, you you didn't have him chipped. No. Okay. No. Um, but he yeah. is now. He is. Yeah, I bet he is. Um, yeah. do, what what was the reunion like when you finally found him and you finally got him back? Um, tell tell us where you met him. Well, I had to go up to the Limerick Animal Welfare to uh, identify him. 
Okay. I identified them in the presence of two guards. And one of the things I do when I'd be going out of the house up to the farm, I'd often get down on the ground to pet him. Yeah. And he'd come up to me. I did the same thing up there. He was gone for nearly a month at this stage. And he came over and he smelt me and he recognised me. And I wasn't sure that he would after that length of time. He was sort of a timid dog. Yeah. And when the guards were bringing him back, as soon as the village carried Navarre, he picked up, alerted, mm-hmm. you know, was alert in his ears. And they brought him up to the house. We live at the edge of Carrig Navarre village. And um, he immediately went for his kennel. He's, he's like, I'm back. I'm home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. So the idea of tough and tougher sanctions for people who steal dogs, uh, like the potential of 10 months in prison for the worst offenders, uh, I'm assuming that you welcome that now. I would. Well, the test of it, of, of a pet is not just a monetary loss. Yeah. You know, there, there's an emotional attachment. And that's formed over a period of time. Yeah. And and particularly now if, you know, if someone was cocooning and their dog was stolen, mm-hmm. it would be an awful di- disaster for them. And people go through a, a, a grieving process. And, you know, if you had a chainsaw stolen, which I had, you'd forget about it. But you, you'd get constant reminders of the, that you're missing the dog when you pass the kennel or you pass out the back door where you'd normally be. Yeah. So it needs to be treated as a more serious crime. And uh, pets now are not that easy to replace. And, uh, you know, there's a a period of getting used to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's easier to get a new wife than it is to get a new dog these days. I think it is, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that would be a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) Given given the lockdown, I mean, we've seen a huge explosion in uh, the, the, the request for pets. And you had all kinds of cowboys and poppy farms and scandals all over the country of people yeah. uh, selling yeah. dogs at insanely inflated prices oh. and uh, you know dogs that were getting stolen were getting uh, were getting put up on, on social media mm-hmm. uh, there was missing campaigns all over the place I know that um, a guy from down our neck of the woods where I live down Crosshaven direction had uh, had bought a puppy a uh, young pup pup was in the lawn um, he went in the front and by the time he came back out the dog was stolen the dog had been sold in Cork three hours later Wow. The person who who bought the dog for 300 quid off the person who stole it, uh, seen the appeal, I think it might have been on the Crosshaven Notice Board, mm-hmm. uh, that this puppy had been stolen and was kind enough to reunite the puppy with the original owner. Of course, 300 quid later, yeah. they were down. Uh, I don't know if that person was ever caught, but the, the idea around... Uh, you know, tougher sentencing and tougher punishment for people to steal dogs has to be put into place. But the thing is, as well, is we were looking we were looking for dogs. We went to the shelters. They had they didn't have a hypoallergenic dog. Yeah. Then we went and looked online, uh, and we saw we, we could tell that there was cowboys out there immediately by looking at them and the way you speak to them on the phone. You could tell there were cowboys. So we we then looked up proper breeders and we found one um, just over the Cork Limerick border. And we went in and you see them with the mother and they're all microchipped. You've got all the documentation. Yeah. So I think that is the better route to try and de- de- um, de-incentivize people from robbing dogs and selling them if just nobody buys dogs from somebody that isn't accredited. Yeah, yeah. In, uh, in the UK, you can't buy a dog unless you go through proper checks and everything. And there's a dozen checks for yeah. before you can you hold on to a dog. Jared, what have you done to, to kind of keep, you know, security levels a little bit higher? Have you put any measures in around the farm? Well, we have an automatic gate going up to the farm. Yeah. But the, the dog is constantly monitored now and 
you know, you're nervous about him all the time now. Of course, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's the problem after a test. You, you can't relax with him unless they're so secured. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's such a good story that he's home. It's it's an, it's not the same story for a lot of people around Cork who no. are still missing their doggies. Uh, but listen, thanks for taking the call. Hope you and Jake have yeah. a great bank holiday weekend. All right, thank you. Good luck. Care of yourself. Thanks Hello. very much. A happier story uh, on the dog napping front. Go, go, go. It's the weekend. Yes, it's the weekend. Club 96 is the soundtrack to
Thank you so much. Nice to be with you. Morning. Good morning, Cork. Yeah, good morning indeed. Um, I suppose, Mary Lou, uh, we, if we looked at it, hindsight's a great thing, but if, uh, if Sinn Féin had uh, fielded more candidates in the election, I'm pretty sure, and I think a lot of people would agree, that we'd be speaking to the Taoiseach now, but given the situation with the pandemic, the economy, the state of the nation, the general mess of the place, would you really want to be in charge right now? Well, yes, I really would. And uh, when we ran in the election, um, and I take your point about fielding more candidates, by the way, I hear that, and uh, I haven't heard the end of it since the last election, so lesson learned. I could offer up a defence, but I won't even try. I, I just will acknowledge the point. Um, when we ran for election, we're very clear that the vote we got was the vote to be in government. Um, the situation is, as you describe, uh, we couldn't have envisaged at that point that COVID-19 was going to become a, a clear and present danger and part of our everyday reality. Um, but we, we, that's, that's how it happened. And if you're asking, you know, am, am I happier that we're leading the opposition than being in government? The answer to that is absolutely not. And every time when uh, we reflect on the things that need to be done now and done quickly and aren't being done, I have to tell you, I feel not uh, any sense of satisfaction at government incompetence or failure, but a really deep frustration at the fact that uh, that we're not in there with the opportunity to, to do things differently and to do things better. Okay. The same thing happens with every government, which is the the government that's that's opposition party will always say that the government isn't doing uh, what the correct things and they're not doing things the right way. And then if that opposition party gets into government, they end up spending their entire time defending the no opposition parties, telling them they're doing everything wrong. So what would you do differently? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I absolutely accept and recognise that that has been the pattern. And I, I think that has really demoralised a lot of people and make, make them lose uh, faith in politics. All I can tell you is we haven't had the opportunity to be in government uh, here in Dublin as of yet. Um, and I can just assure people, for me personally, but also for Sinn Féin as a party, we've no intention of being in government just for the sake of it and doing the same old thing. So here, let me give you an example. You remember that during the election, housing, I suppose, above all other issues, was front and centre. Um, you will know that we argued the toss over rent freezes and protections for renters and the availability of affordable housing and, and so on. And just so as your listeners will know, in case they missed us with all of the COVID saturation, that argument uh, with government, with Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael in particular, has gone on since the election. And I, I mean, over the, this week, for example, we, we brought forward legislation to ban um, these co-living developments. You know what they are, you know, where you pay a fortune for a living space that's the size of a car parking space. And then you share all of your facilities. I mean, planning permission is still being granted to these co-living um uh, developments, even though we are in the grip of a global uh, pandemic with a highly transmissible virus, you couldn't make it up, but that, that's where it's at. We moved that legislation, the government m- knocked it back. Last night, we uh, had the proposal for the ban on evictions, which is essential uh, in these times. Uh, we brought forward the proposition, very reasonable proposition, that this uh, should be for at least six months. 
uh, that got knocked back and the government are only allowing that level of relief for security for renters for so long as we are in level five. So if you're asking me what would we do differently, I'm offering you up those two examples of things that we would very definitely do differently. The budget bragged billions for housing, but when you actually drilled into it and and asked the the questions of what's actually going on, you found that there was a hundred and odd million, not billion, million for affordable housing for a scheme that we still haven't seen, even though we had been promised that it would be available to us in September. So I'm really, really concerned that the housing mess and failure is still the same old same on the watch of this government and I find that really worrying Um, and I know that we are going to battle that um, and confront it hard from the opposition benches and bring forward alternatives but I also know that in real terms the the only time that we are really going to change that is when we have a government with Sinn Féin in it. you you saying that we haven't had a chance yet to be in government um, is like is like and you, and you saying but these are the things that we want to do is like me saying yeah. I've kicked a ball before but I've never played in the Premier League but let me tell you why a player for Liverpool is an idiot and he can't play soccer properly it, it saying that you you want to do these things is different than saying that you can do these things and what I found is with every single government they can't do these things because party politics doesn't work because it takes. The, the phrase it takes a village. Why? Why are it? Why is it a, a, in a scenario where a small amount of people are deciding things for an entire country, when oftentimes some of the most level heads are coming from the people that are experiencing what the policies are actually affecting? Well, I'd say two things to that. Firstly, I, I, I don't think you're advancing the argument that we have like Pele in position in the current government. I don't think you're saying that because that's not true, and it's. It's obvious. I mean, I think the level of chaos that we've seen over the last number of months speaks for itself. I, I don't think I have to elaborate on that. Well, there, is, there, um, there, isn't, I, there isn't a Pele in any of the governments. That's what I'm saying, is that the system that currently exists doesn't allow for there to be a Pele. Because well, Camille, I, I, I don't... I think if you're, if you're very, very cynical about politics, you, you might say that... Um, I can only say this to you, that I, I believe that that I lead a very, very strong, very competent, very level-headed and hard-working team. That, that's my view. And I'm not trying to throw roses at us, but I believe that we have the competence. I also believe that we are not um, tied in the way that other parties are, because bear, bear this in mind, the story of government in this state now for almost a century has been Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, Fine Gael. It's like a relay race. And they are, they are pretty much the same. They take the same approaches. And you're right, they make the same mistakes again and again and again. And, and people pick up the tab for it. We are not them. We, we are coming at things in a different way, in, in a very grassroots driven way. I think in a very down to earth, copped on, practical way. And I want us to have the chance to demonstrate to people that actually what you're saying does not have to be the case and that you can have a government that is competent and in touch with people and that will actually deliver and that will work hard um, and and make a huge difference. And I believe that that can happen. I passionately believe that that can happen. I also know it's not going to happen if we stick with the same like Fianna Fáil to Fine Gael and then Fine Gael back to Fianna Fáil. They like it that way because it means that politics goes on in that unchanging, kind of turgid way that suits 
their political agenda. It doesn't suit ours. Mary Lou, a question in from from Morris who's been onto the show. Northern Ireland is in a lot worse off position despite a general consensus between Republican and nationalist politicians politicians on how to handle COVID-19. So if anything, Northern Ireland is infecting us, he says here, before uh, you start thinking about an all-Ireland strategy, uh, is that the red herring? If if, uh, Sinn Féin are so good, why is Northern Ireland so bad? Well, look, the first thing I would say to your listener is that in order to keep any of us safe on this island, we have to keep all of us safe. And that means we need an all-Ireland approach. Now, we don't have it yet, but the, the, the island is a, what they call a single epidemiological unit. In other words, for the purposes of public health, just as uh, when there was a threat to the national herd with a foot and mouth, we have to act as a single island to protect the livestock. Now we need to work as a single island to protect our people. That hasn't happened yet, and I absolutely accept that that is a shortfall and that it needs to be fixed. And certainly I I fully intend that we will keep pressing on that issue until we get there. In terms of the North, it's not actually true to say, well, the North is infecting the South, you know. I mean, look at the transmission rates right across the island. The the numbers in Cork are, are very high. Um, I, I don't think you can attribute that to people in Uri, uh or people in Strabane, in, in all fairness. So this is a problem across the island and we absolutely need an all-Ireland solution. And, and by the way, and it's absolutely 100% to look to the executive and to scrutinise what they're doing or what they're not doing, that's 100%. But it is a mistake and it's not true to make an equivalence between a five-party power-sharing executive in a devolved institution in the north and government in Dublin. They are, it's like apples and oranges, the the extent of powers and autonomy that Dublin enjoys, sadly, and I say this brokenheartedly, is not replicated um, in Belfast at all. And in many ways, um, we, we had initially, just so your listener knows, quite a job, a considerable job to convince many of our unionist colleagues that Boris Johnson, when he was talking about herd immunity and all of that, that that was the wrong approach and that it would prove very, very damaging. So this this is always going to be a job of work in the North. And let me finally say, uh, of course, the answer ultimately to this dilemma is to ensure in the future that every decision that affects the people of the island of Ireland is taken on the island of Ireland. And I'm a united Irelander. I'm an Irish Republican. Uh, I, I know that the border and partition has borne a very, very heavy cost for all of us right across the island. And I work every day to develop a political alternative and to give expression to the politics of change, including ending partition, which will, which is the best plan for all of us. For you, COVID, for Brexit and for every other issue. Mary Lou, are you concerned about the, the rise of what people are saying is right-wing ideology? If you look at Dublin last night and the anti-masking protests that are going on and people getting arrested, what's your view of what's going on there? I, I am worried. Well, I, I, on the one hand, I, I, I get that people are absolutely frustrated um, and they're frustrated because these lockdown measures, this is hard. I mean, we're, we're, I find this hard. Every Everybody finds this hard. And it's harder still if you're one of the 150,000 people now whose job is gone, I hope temporarily, but, but you've no work to go to or workers who haven't seen a day's work since 
March or people are feeling isolated and are frustrated because they can't see their friends and their families. That's that's a natural thing. I also understand the anger because, you know, if the government had availed of the breathing space that we had last summer when transmission rates were really, really low, that was the time to build up testing and tracing, to build up capacities in our public health provision to build up capacities in our hospitals. But the government didn't do that. I mean, on the contrary, they actually wound down testing and tracing. And you saw at the weekend, the system became overwhelmed. And all of these things fuel a natural anxiety and and anger. So I get that. But, But let me say this. There have been many, many injustices visited on our people in the history of this state. We saw last night disgraceful legislation passed wherein the government are going to seal the archive of uh, women and children who were in mother and baby homes. That's an outrage. That is an impingement and a disgrace and worthy of, of a clamour of protest. Wearing a mask, wearing a mask is an act of social solidarity. It's an act of respect for the bus driver or the retail worker or your neighbour or your friend or anybody that you that you run into or come across in in your day to day living, it is not an infringement on your civil liberties, um, and I I think and I'm saying this as much as somebody who who had the virus and who came through it and knows full well that this is a very real thing. This is not some made up conspiracy. This virus is real, and I think just as the government has an absolute responsibility to get its act together and to stop dragging its heels and to do the things that will keep us safe and keep us out of yo-yoing in and out of these awful restrictions. The government needs to lead on that. But I also believe that we as human beings who care about each other and respect each other also need to carry our part. And I, I do not like the fact that some people are whipping up the understandable anxiety and translating it into something that is really ugly on our streets. Really, really ugly. And I think we need to take a couple of steps back and just ask ourselves the question as to where we're going with all of this. And believe you me, I don't like the fact that we're in another lockdown. At the end of these six weeks, the government has to, and the state has to, make provision, build up our defences so that we don't keep going in and out of this nightmare. But at the same time, I I love my family and my community. I think everybody else does. Wearing a mask, the biggest civil liberty infringement. No, absolutely not. That's a ridiculous argument to advance. We're going to get to some listener questions in a second. Um, I want to ask you, we had Michal Martin in here a couple of weeks ago uh, who was in with PJ. And as he was inside here, outside, there was a group of Debenhams workers uh, who obviously uh, were let go and are protesting in Debenhams to try and get what's owed to them. And we also had a group of uh, parents from a school in Carrigtool that uh, the planning permission isn't uh, going through and they're having trouble getting a school built. And he walked past them and, and tried to, you know, and they were following up the road asking them questions. And in, for me, it seemed like politics by its very nature and party politics is disingenuous and here's the reason why we've overhauled the scholastic system throughout history we've overhauled irrigation we've overhauled living conditions and everything else we've even overhauled how we integrate in terms of the family unit everything has changed from roman times up until now and politics hasn't and by its very nature it's a game uh, you're trying to get in, people are trying to stay in and you'll say what you think is the hotbed issue that'll get you those votes because it has to be disingenuous on some level because no political party or politician cares about everything but they make out like they do. 
So why can't politicians talk to the public honestly and stop doing the politician jargon and stop saying, well, we are blah, 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 and, and, and do that whole kind of soundbite thing and just say, look, we don't know and we want to find out and we want to learn and we're going to try our best. Or lads, we're struggling. Or lads, you know, why can't we, why can't we work together on this? Why is it so divisive that you think they're wrong but why would you not put your heads together and take a bit of a pay cut and say, let's all form one government where everyone's involved and then you get right, left, middle and everybody finds something because you're trying to represent a country that isn't left, isn't right and isn't centrist. It's a mixture of everything. So why can't we have one big government that is filled with volunteers and people that want to make a better country? Well, we are. We do have a country, as you said, filled with, with all of that sentiment and all of that goodwill and all of that experience. And can I just say to you, you're absolutely 100% when you say that politicians need to listen to people. Absolutely. You know, there's a reason why, as they say, we've one mouth and two ears. And that's because listening is actually the most valuable, the most powerful communication tool of any uh, political activist and any, any political leader in my um, in my experience. Um, I, I want to say something about Debenhams, if I can, and then I'll come back to your general point. Yeah, um, please do, yeah. See, see, the issue with Debenhams, and can I salute them? I mean, <laughs> I have to tell you, it takes considerable stamina and it takes considerable guts and courage to not just make the stand that these workers have made, but to sustain this stand over such a long period uh, of time. And they have been wronged by their employer and the Taoiseach has acknowledged that. There's no issue there. Mm-hmm. Um, they have been further wronged by KPMG. Um, and I think we all, we all recognise that. Um, but the reality is that there is, there is an answer for Debenhams short term. Uh, what we need is KPMG and the workers' representatives' mandate and the shop stewards to re-engage. The Taoiseach agrees with that. Um, and we have asked him to call to, to make that happen as the head of government longer term we need to we need to change the law and we need to ensure that that when there is um when a, a company fails or when a, a situation of liquidation arises that the workers aren't left again at the back of the queue and that people get the redundancy that they're entitled to like they're not looking for the sun moon and stars these are people with like in some cases decades of service a lot of them are women, by the way. There are some men, but decades of service. So they're only asking for uh, what is reasonably, reasonably theirs. And I, I, I take your point about political games being played here. I, and I think that is really unfortunate. But I would also say to you that the opposition came together in a very united way. We issued a common statement. We have a common platform. And we have asked the Taoiseach to act not just to give tea and sympathy, but to, to act because there is a solution and a resolution to be found. Um, and on the school issue, um, I mean, my own my own kids were educated, did their bun school uh, through educated in prefab buildings. So I, I know the frustration of waiting and waiting and being caught between different phases of planning and procurement and so on. And that to me is very often... I mean, uh, inertia on the part of the system, and it's it, it's not to be defended. Um, Mary Lou, can I ask you in in politics? Yep. Um, 
you're there to serve the government or, or at least challenge from the opposition, opposition benches. Now, you clearly believe that Sinn Féin got a mandate at the election in February to take on the reins or at least be involved, which, which hasn't happened. So given the pandemic will be with us for some time to come, would Sinn Féin still force the issue and seek for the country, you know, to, seek to go to the country in a time of crisis, bearing in mind the support you enjoy uh, in the opinion polls at the moment? Uh, is it a good time? to go for an election. Yeah. Well, let me say, in in the current circumstances, with the current restrictions where you can't move five kilometres beyond your house, obviously an election is not uh, is not on the cards. Uh, but I think certainly, so as we're clear, we need a change of government. And look, these guys went into government together um, because they said the country needed stability. I don't think they've delivered stability. I think the facts demonstrate that it has been chaotic and built more on rivalry than any sense of common purpose. They also went into government together explicitly to keep Sinn Féin, but also to keep change, that politics of change out. And we know this because they told us this repeatedly. And in fact, Senegal and Fianna Fáil have worn this as a badge of honour. They think this was a good thing to do. I think it's proven to be a disastrous thing uh, to do because they had neither the appetite nor the plans to actually get on top of the big issues, housing, the pension age, decent uh, uh, decency in the health service and so on. So can we have an election? Of course we can, but we can only do it in circumstances where people will be safe. I, I, I want to see the back of this government. I, I want Sinn Féin in government. I want the opportunity. I want us to have the chance to deliver on all of the things that we, we've talked about. But I absolutely accept that you couldn't have uh, an election yeah. in circumstances where where the virus is so rampant as it is across the island. Of course, that couldn't happen. So it's a no. It's a no. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much thanks, for bringing Mary. me to the show today. Mary Lou MacDonald, Sinn Féin President, thanks for joining us. A lot of texts coming in about Mary Lou's chat. What have you got, Ross? Yeah, Mary Lou and Sinn Féin have no clue. God help us all if she ever becomes Taoiseach. That comes in from one texter. And then somebody else on the other side of the fence, not politically minded or motivated in any way, but it is refreshing to hear the head of a party answer a question they have been asked, not swerve it. Yeah. So there you go. Well, she didn't really get to an, get to answer the longest no. question in the history of broadcasting applied, that yeah. you hit her she with. She took Debenhams and uh, ran with that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're like Darren Brown, aren't they? Yeah, they're, <laughs> look, they're, they're, look at the birdie. <laughs> look at the birdie. I'm over here. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. 
You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Uh, it is the jazz, the jazzless weekend yeah. in Cork, which is absolutely heartbreaking. This is a weekend uh, where thousands of people come into Cork, millions is generated for the city, and then those millions are distributed through through every part of society, from from coffee shops to restaurants to taxi drivers. Uh, Derry Elvis, the taxi driver, uh, the Cork legend, is on the phone. Good morning, Derry. How are you? Morning, very good, very good, thank you. Um, this would traditionally be an absolutely crazy weekend for you. You would be making... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a pity, like, you know, the enjoyment of the city has been disrupted. Yeah. Uh, the entertainment, obviously, the musicians, the hotels, uh, or the spin-off of people coming in from other counties and other parts of the world. Yeah. Uh, the shop turnover, everything, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, um, it's a pity, like, we're going to miss it. Uh, entertainment is a big thing in our life. Enjoying the city is a big thing, like you know. Yeah. And uh, the, the way it was operated, and you know, everyone was facilitated, and everyone had a good time, and they, t- they spoke good about the jazz always. And we all got on well with everyone that, that we entertained. You know, it's it's a big loss to the city. Uh, this epidemic, as you know, is, is, is as you know, as you know, is a very serious thing, and we have to take all the precautions. Yeah. And we have we have to act safety as well. Like, but we have to help people along. The taxi drivers are great at the moment. We're helping everyone along, like with their shopping and uh, moving from the airport and various things. Like you know, the necessities of life get, are going ahead. Like. Yeah. You you even dress up for the weekend, like Elvis, to kind of get into the get into the <laughs> swing of things. But like, I, 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 pres- I, I presume I, you won't be dressing up this weekend. No, 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 no. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. unfortunately, no, no, no. I just have to stay in will keep. The thing is, your keep. your industry is based on footfall and people being out and about. Yeah. So, oh, it, yeah. how how disheartening is it for you to be sitting down going, I could go into town, try and get a few fares, and be sitting there for eight hours, or oh. is it better off to just be at home and cut my losses? Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of people are with the textile stay at home. They're on the pandemic payment, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's we have to go. Like we have to, you know, you, you just have to suffer on. Uh, you just have to facilitate people, and uh, people are very good. They're very good to us, and uh, uh, they're nice, and they're understanding of the situation. We're helping people along, like you know, uh, people have to move in transit, like you know, like for example, there's people coming into the city at the moment, and they can't get their own. People can't come in and collect them because of the barriers that are put up. So. To, to the, the taxi man is the only man that can take him uh, the long distance, say the twenty kilometres, the probably mm-hmm. or fifty kilometres to their destination. You know. Yeah. Uh, what what precautions did you have to take, Derry, in your taxi? Have you got like a perspex cover? Or are you putting people uh, into no, the back? No, I, I didn't do that. No, but uh, there last week there I got my uh, my whole car was all sanitised. Like you know. Okay. Uh, the the garages are doing that now. They do a great job on it. Like you know, any kind of vermin, any disease, anything is totally gone out of the car. Uh, you know, once the car is clean, once and the people that we have are coming are clean and they're. they're have their masks and they're well dressed and they're organised and they're taking care and they're all good. We're all helping each other along, like you know. Yeah. We're all we're all helping along and we're we're having a good time and uh, we're all in good humour and we, we make we make a good humour for the for the public anyway, like you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, when do you see there being light at the end of the tunnel in terms of you know you being able to go back? Are you are you hoping for it's going to return to some bit of normalcy after the six weeks or are you not holding your breath? Well, we don't know. We don't know really because this this is a very very serious thing. Like it has spread throughout the world. Like you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the only way. 
the only, I honestly think that it, it's it's some outer space with all these com, with all these this radiation and with these uh, satellites and everything. The only way I I, I could ex, um, probably put it across to an army person is um, crabs. Do you know what a crab is? I do. The crab goes on your body, right? One crab goes on your body. He multiplies. He goes on to, onto the other person's body. Jeez, you say, how did he get on there? How did this or that? Uh, this, this, is, this is similar to the crabs, that it gets on your body. It moves on onto the other person. If you keep away from the person, it won't move. Like, you know, it's, it's beyond your imagination. It's, it's beyond your mental ability as well. Like, and I'm probably beyond scientists as well, but it's there. This is the way I look at it, and, and this is the way I think of it, like... Uh, I have seen these things on the windscreen in my car and the wipers won't take them off. Uh, they move off themselves. As I say, the best way I can explain to the only person, the only individual, is like a crab. You know, if you know when the crabs are on your body, one comes and multiplies, then it goes on to the other body and goes on to the other body unless you, unless you get rid of it yourself. You know? Hang on a second. Hang on a second now. Do I actually... Uh, have, has somebody put something in my coffee or is Elvis telling me that there's 5G crabs that are spreading <laughs> coronavirus through taxi drivers? <laughs> well, I, 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 I'm only... I'm only Explain it. In an analogy sense, analogy. of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I mean, they say that, that that's, the, that's the only way I can explain to a human being that the way it is walking, like, you know? As someone who's never had crabs, John, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, hold away, no, hold away, hold away, no. I've it's had them not, for a starter, mind you. They're it, very nice. It, 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 do, it do operate the same as crabs operate in your yeah, body. I get what you're saying. I get yeah, what you're saying. Yeah, you could tell the scientists that that's what it's all about. Now, when these things are going to disappear and go, we don't know, like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I know it's a, it's a very stressful weekend for, for anybody yeah, in the yeah. in the driving business. Derry, thank you very much. Yeah. And this time next year, we'll all be back to normal, right? That's well, the I hope. hope. That's I, the I, hope to, I hope, to, I hope to, the, the scientists and all those and uh, these people will tear, tear up the atmosphere and tear up outer, outer space and we don't have a total disaster, you know? Well, all listen, right. John, if taxis start driving sideways, you might be right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We'll get along in here. We'll be there in here despite and yes, we'll get You're along. You're on to something. You know? Nice one, John. Derry, take care. Bye-bye. Okay, Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. All right, so let's get on to the Metropole where a man in the top hat will be welcoming thousands of guests right down McCurtain Street and usually uh, a lot of the big jazz names will be staying in, uh, in our Metropole mm-hmm. Hotel, uh, the hotel that started the Jazz Weekend in Cork all all those years ago. Good morning, John. Good morning, He's, gentlemen. How are you? How are you doing? We're very good. It's 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 very sad, isn't it, it is. John? It's not. It's different. Okay. Okay. You're keeping you're keeping a, 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 a kind of a, a, a optimistic, positive optimistic, outlook yeah, on disposition. Exactly. What can we do? We got through the March one. We're going to get through this one. Yeah. Um. You know, I suppose it's very different, right? The first jazz was back in the 27th of October, 1978. Yeah. Um, you know, this would be our 43rd Jazz Weekend, but it still will be a Jazz Weekend um, with a very big difference for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. The um, I suppose, like, the city is changing, the city is rising, the city is always doing something. Um, here in the Metropole, we felt that we just couldn't leave the weekend past because, obviously, there's a huge connection and you don't want to break that. So we have launched our Jazz and brunch afternoon tea at home. Okay. So people can do a click and collect. They can get their afternoon tea, their brunch delivered. We have a Spotify jazz menu available um, for them to listen to. So you can have your jazz at home. We also today uh, opened our Metropole Takeaway Cafe. That is on McCarthy Street. It's the old Lawson's door which is iconic in itself, um, but we've opened it. It's open today from 8 o'clock. It'll be open for the next six weeks. Yep. It will be doing your takeaway teas, coffees. It'll be doing your click and collect. 
Um, it's just thinking outside the box, I suppose I like to say, instead of thinking outside the box, just get rid of the box altogether. Um, I see PJs actually allowing that to happen in the last two days. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, your your job, uh, John, is is as a concierge, your job is, I'd say there's a bit of a buzz with, when things are busy and you're you're facilitating people who are coming into Cork City. So, you know, you're giving them recommendations and you're, you're sending them to restaurants, you know, and you're giving, you know, there, there must be, it's a very social job that you have. Like, what are some of the things that you miss from previous years at the Jazz Festival? What would be your, you know, your kind of day working in the Metro? Well, um, I suppose the one thing I learned when I moved into the Metropole as concierge and guest relations was that no day will end the way you thought it would. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, I suppose, basically it's to personalise the guest experience. It's to give the guests this home-from-home experience. Um, there's just so much that the guest will want to do. Um, people think they're going to go to Blarney Cove, you know, Kinsale. They're going to do them all in one day. Just kind of personalising it, really. Um, you're dealing with the guest who's after checking out and they just ring from the airport to say that they've left their passport in the locker in the bedroom. Yeah. Yep. You, get, you get that into a taxi and just tell the taxi driver, here's a passport, bring it to the airport, they'll meet you there. There is the couple that want to get engaged and they they will um, give you the information. He will, he will give you the information beforehand. I've put a ring into a balloon for somebody. You know, there's just so much and uh, then obviously he'll pop the question she'll pop the balloon yeah um, it's just it's it's fascinating it's really great and it's you know as I say it's a very sociable thing um, and it's just great to look after the, the guests and we're so lucky in Cork that there's so many attractions there's so much to do there's so much diversity really um, and in the metropole then I suppose like when we're Bang splat in the middle of the city centre. It's great. It's very vibrant. Uh, Victorian quarter here in the street is great. Yeah, with, but with all the, well, I suppose with all the work that, that's, that's going on on McCartan Street and with the, the uh, you know, footpath extensions that they're putting in at the moment, uh, soon, pretty soon, John, we'll be back to normal and we'll have a jazz. Hopefully next year. Jazz 2021 is yeah. going to be absolutely rocking and the cork that we know at this weekend uh, is going to be back to normal. So keep the top hat polished and we'll talk absolutely. to you again soon, John. Thanks so much for ringing really in. Indeed. See you, John. All right. Mind Thanks, yourself. Guys. Take Bye. it easy. It is the opinion line and there are opinions flying into us. We have so many of your comments to get to, particularly... Uh, with regards to our chat with Mary Lou, uh, we will get back to those in a moment. Uh, but I'll let you introduce this man. Yeah, our next guest is a stand-up comedian. Uh, he's absolutely hilarious. Uh, he is, uh, I think he's Ireland's only gay traveller comedian. Uh, and he's a friend. Uh, and uh, he's an absolute legend. Uh, so uh, please welcome uh, Martin Beans Award. Mr. Ward. Good morning, welcome Martin. Back, Martin. How's the lads? <laughs> What's the story? <laughs> How are you, sir? Do How you, are you doing? Hear my very low morning voice. <laughs> <laughs> we should put on our serious, uh, you know, our serious hats. current, current yeah. affairs. Yeah. Oh, yes. No, I, I got camper throughout the day. Come here, listen, how are you? We had you on the show a few months ago, and at the time, Ross had invited you to warm up for him in the Opera House because. The, the the issue we were having was Martin Beans Ward, member of the travelling community, a comedian, was getting the door shoved in his face and venues were not booking you because you're a member of the travelling mm-hmm. community. Um, I know COVID came along and destroyed all the entertainment industry, but um, this was a big problem for you at the time. Did anything get better as after that conversation? Did, did you see uh, any more opportunities opening up for you? 
To be fair, um, like the, the pandemic has kind of ruined every comedian's prospects for the whole year. Yeah. Although for myself, I'm quite used to performing in empty rooms, so it wouldn't <laughs> too much, you know, right. if I can get into the room, that is. Um, to be honest with you, that 2019 was very tough getting venues, as I was saying to you the last time. Yeah. Uh, but after that, then the arts community came out and they showed me a massive amount of support and started offering venues. In actual fact, there was uh, a publican from West Cork and he was listening to the show uh, the last time I spoke to you guys yep. and he had offered his venue uh, which I found it was like it was great I, I, I don't know kind of, it could be a shade now for all I know you know yeah. uh, it, it's West Cork still but, though <laughs> it, was, it, was, it, it was an offer like you know it was an offer and yeah. you know what it was a genuine offer and I think that's quite indicative of Cork people to be fair they're, they're quite um they're, they're very accommodating now, in fairness. Mm-hmm. Although there, there, there was one or two uh, of the larger venues that just didn't get back to my multitude of, <laughs> of emails. Yeah. But, you know, this year now it was much better. I had a lot of venues lined up. I had the, the Cork Arts Theatre was actually sold out. Um, I sold out there within, I think it was two weeks and came on your show and I think I sold the last of the 20 tickets. So, like, it was going in a great direction. And, of course, I was, I was going to support Ross and, you yeah. know, um, help him actually get some laughs at his show. That's Absolutely. It. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> he needs it. <laughs> getting back to the, the, the whole core problem around uh, travellers trying to get into venues, um, do you, do, you, do you see or do you think it's fair why somebody would, would have an initial fear about booking a member of the travelling community to come to their venue? Do you think it's completely and utterly unfair? I'm sure you do. Oh, well, of course it's unfair, mm-hmm. the generalisation. But at the same time, like I can empathise with venue owners having that fear. But I think when you work in, the, in an industry where your licence is heavily dependent on you serving the public, I think you have to have a little bit more tact in... in in who you, um, I suppose, refuse into your venue. Like, I'm a stand-up comedian. I have been for years. There's been never... Actually, the only trouble that was ever at one of my shows was from a settled person. Uh, but look, I don't blame all of you guys, you know. Um, I just, you know, I, I just couldn't live next door to everything. <laughs> <laughs> but, it was, like, to be fair, I could totally empathise and understand. But had they had a conversation with me, they would have found out that the vast majority, and I'm talking 99.9% of my support... Are, are from the settled community. Mm-hmm. Every every kind of leg up I've gotten, every favour I've gotten, the reason why I'm in comedy is largely down to the the, the just Irish people, um, the Irish settled community. Like so, for for a venue then to turn around and say that they're afraid a hundred travellers is going to show up is uh, well, first off, thanks. You know, if you think a hundred people are going to show up in the first place, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, that's the, that's the hard part of it, actually, get people to turn up. But look, I can totally empathise. I think we're at a different stage now. I know that I won't be able to get certain venues um, that you guys suppose Ross will be able to get there now, and that's, that's still the case. Well, I won't but, be, you know, I won't, as I said to you last year, I won't be playing the venues that won't book you, so, you know. Although, and do you know what, I wouldn't even put that on you. I think I think something like this needs to be teased out over time. And also the the fact that look, I don't have there's there's no other traveller doing this, you mm-hmm. know. And if there is a traveller doing it, they're certainly not identifying as a traveller. Uh, so they're not making it any easier for the other travellers. Whereas you know, I'm putting it out there that I am a traveller, and I want to show venues that look, there's going to be no trouble at your shows yeah. um, at all, and there hasn't been. And you know, it's, it's quite a. It's, it, my, my shows, I don't know, if, like if, if you go to one of my shows, you'll see that I take the piss out of myself a lot more than I take the piss out of anyone else. Mm-hmm. And I invite people in to laugh at me 
you know, I'm the nexus point between the two communities. And I think that's what's integral to my show is that I'm inviting you in to laugh at me. And by proxy, I suppose, laughing at the things you wouldn't normally laugh at. And if there are travellers in the audience, like, they also see me then making fun of the settler community. Mm-hmm. Which is, it, look, it, it, that's just the way it goes. It's, it's a bit of back and forth, a bit of banter, a bit it's of comedy. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. comedy. It's, it, look, it's all, for, it's all for the laugh. And at the end of it, then, I always stay around for pictures and pints, usually with the audience afterwards as well. So, like, I'm, I'm not one of those comedians that, you know, as soon as I'm done, I think, you know, I'm back to the green room or whatever. I, I, like, I know I'm lucky enough just to get into the venue and I'm, I'm delighted and lucky enough to have a following that's going to buy tickets. So I usually spend time with them afterwards. The, the relationship that the, that the Irish people have by proxy through the Irish media is, and I think it's the media's pro, uh, fault, is, is it's, of a, it's of a sensationalist view, it's it's a voyeuristic view but there's no integration. Like I listened to an interview that Miriam O'Callaghan did, a radio interview with Dr. Bridget Culligan and uh, she she was speaking about the breaking of tra- traveller stereotypes and how people outside the traveller community have low expectations of travellers and think that they have low expectations of themselves within their own community. And then a person texted in after the interview and they had it was a positive text uh, and they said that woman was very articulate and, yeah. and, and I saw that and I went for a traveller is that is that that, that, that was and that's what it was so yeah. even though they thought that they were being progressive and and you know and not yeah, racist yeah. there still was an underlying uh, subconscious racism that was there so and we've spoken for hours on end over the phone because you know of projects that I'm working on that that integrate and work with the traveling community how do you think that do you think that art can actually bridge this gap where people don't feel like other um i, I absolutely do artists has a transformative power as you know yourself if you can listen if you can get up on stage and if you can if you can evoke emotions from a stranger be it through acting and, and making them sad making them contemplative or making them laugh i think making people laugh is probably the hardest of the emotions to get out because it's highly subjective and you know they have to buy into the story they have to buy into the punchline they have to find you funny they have to find you like approachable when you're on stage if you come across as being aggressive they're not going to buy into them. Nobody's going to laugh at somebody who looks like a bully. So, absolutely. And in regards to Bridget Quilligan, an absolutely fantastic spokesperson absolutely. who's been yeah. battling on, on a multitude of fronts, uh, a huge support to LGBT travellers also. But it's quite ironic that you should say that, you know. Um, it's almost as if you're the exception to the rule. Exactly, and, yeah. You know, it's like, um, you know, you're, you're a good traveller. You're, you're a house snacker, you know. And, and that's that's essentially what, what, we, what we hear when people say, I, yeah, but you're not like the rest of them. Or one of the the, the usual tropes is, yeah, but um, geez, you'd never know you were a traveller. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, can, I, can I talk to you about the Des Bishop audio and the the interview that Des did over in America, which uh, surfaced online and it came to your attention. And there was some very unsavoury things said about the travelling community within that. Des went quiet for a few months and, you know, we all know Des very well and we all have great time for him. Uh, I think he was, what he said was, was very unfair and it was, you know, it was completely challengeable. Uh, he went quiet after a couple of months and now he has issued an apology. I'm going to read that 
that apology and then I want to get your uh, your thoughts on that Martin because we, we just have a couple of minutes left before we can we can let you go so I'm writing to apologise to the traveller community for comments I made on a radio show in the US a couple of years ago I especially apologise to the community in Tume who were so welcoming to me 15 years ago when we were filming Joy in the Hood the experience was so positive for me which I'm sure makes it even more hurtful for them to hear such negative comments about their community uttered by somebody who was treated so well uh, this is of no consolation that I am so disappointed in myself because I don't believe in those stereotypes uh, that I spoke so freely about on the show. I have always wanted to be someone who helped end prejudice against travellers in Ireland, but I clearly have a blind spot on my own prejudice. That's what well, it is. Now you took you took that, Martin. Um, this is this is what I saw on online. Is when that was issued or before it was issued, you did something that nobody else does, which is everybody, especially with cancel culture, wants to ruin people. And you specifically said, "I don't want this to affect his career. Yeah. I don't want to have him blacklisted. I want an apology." And that's it. Which I thought was very level-headed. Uh, do you accept the apology? And and you know, do you feel that you know anything has been done to help the situation, or do you think that you know it's it's a good thing to move forward? Well, as an individual, I can't speak for my whole uh, community, mm-hmm. but as an individual, I, I do accept his apology. And as I, as I mentioned on his own tweet, under his apology, you know, best wishes going forward. I've no, I've no hate towards the yeah. man. Like, at the end of the day, he's the reason I'm in comedy. He's the reason I'm on the phone today. You know, like, he, he, if, if, if it wasn't for him 15 years ago, I wouldn't be involved in comedy. So I, I can't just discount all of the good he did in my life based on comments, shitty comments, let's face it, yeah. mm-hmm. that he made two years ago. But he has apologised. It did take him a while to apologise. That's fair enough. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he didn't say, he said there were negative comments. He didn't uh, use the legal jargon of calling it racist because that's a whole different ballgame. But that's fair enough. Uh, I'm happy that he's apologised to my community. And look, I do, genuinely, I do wish him the best. And I've, I've said it from the beginning. I don't want him blacklisted. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't, for something you say two years ago, for, for anything you say, something that can be remedied, words can be remedied if you apologise correctly and, and you you know, you alleviate the concerns and fears of the people that, you know, are hurt by your comments. If you can sort that out, then you shouldn't lose your career. You shouldn't have people boycotting you. You shouldn't be people, there shouldn't be people blacklisting you. So, like, I I would hate to be the reason why he even lost the sale of one ticket um, because we all know how difficult it is to make a living in this uh, industry. In this game, yeah. So, so for for me, it was was me empowering myself by accepting the apology. And look, in the future, um, we'll either have, uh, we won't have a drink, he doesn't drink, (laughs) Um, which is a whole separate thing but but in the future we'll we'll, we'll shake hands and well I'll shake hands with him anyway Um, he'll probably throw throw a swing at me because you know he did train with the travellers in the box of the ring (laughs) Beans beans were mad late for news listen we love you and uh, we can't wait to have you back down in Cork and uh, we'll have a a bit of crack on stage cheers lads cheers Corkaboo Martin Beans Ward (laughs) thank you very much good luck go and follow him on social media he's brilliant on Twitter he's got a brilliant Facebook page and he's just he's just a great lad Uh, Martin Beans you are listening to highlights from the opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. To hear the full show, download the podcast from iTunes or see 96FM.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96 FM. Good morning. This is Casey and there's Mr. Ross Brown. Hello there. We have an hour to go. And we leave you alone then until the next time. Uh, as we get you into the bank holiday weekend, it's a Friday. We uh, have a little bit of money for you to get your hands on mm-hmm. as well. And uh, here's what we want you to do. We are celebrating one year of the hit mix online on the Cork's 96FM app. If you don't have the app by now, 
What are you up to? What have you been doing? Download it for free onto your smartphone. And uh, you can listen to Corks 96 FM, the hit mix. You can listen to the fit mix to do a little bit of training. And we've got Premier League live right across the weekend. A host of massive games, all for free. You don't pay nada for it. And you can stream it into your home, on your smart speaker, or if you're out for a walk, listen to the Premier League over the weekend. But the hit mix uh, plays you non-stop hits. We're giving you €500 Euro in cash for your chance to win. All you got to do is follow Corks96FM on Instagram, tag your friends, and use this hashtag, hashtag hit mix money. We'll be keeping an eye on you, picking one winner, and somebody is going to pick up 500 quid in cash to celebrate one year of the hit mix playing fresh new music online, on your phone, and on your smart speaker. Uh, so uh, get on the Corks 96 FM Instagram if uh, you want to get involved in all of that, Ross. Uh, lads, great to hear Mrs. Negative with her opinions on the radio so everyone can hear how Sinn Féin cannot bring any solutions to the table. Uh, all they can do is drag down people that are trying to fix issues. As you said, they need to get on board and start using constructive criticism and not destructive criticism. Uh, I wasn't pointing that specifically at Sinn Féin. I was saying every political party. So, yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, I think it's endemic of the system. Uh, and somebody said, hi, lads. I, this is to do with... Uh, COVID-19 testing. I was tested for COVID-19 last Thursday, the 15th in Blackpool, still waiting for results uh, texts to come through. One week later, I rang HSE a few times and know they're really busy. They rang Monday to say they will within the next hour uh, with results, but I still didn't receive results. Are others in the same position? Okay. So yeah, you have to self-isolate until you get those results. So you do, yeah. are you in a lockdown on top of a lockdown? Yeah, I heard a woman on the radio uh, talking about a situation where um, uh, there was a lady waiting for a test and she had was waiting for the call and then the people from the HSE rang her up and they heard a load of bustling going on in the background. And they said to her, listen, the news is you're positive, you've tested positive, where are you at the moment? And she's like, oh, I'm out doing the shopping. You know, and there's, a, there's still a lot of that going on. If, you, if you're waiting for a test result, you have to wait at home. That's, mm-hmm. the, that's the rules, unfortunately. I know it's not nice for anybody, uh, but they are the rules that we're asked, they're asked, uh, asked, asking people to stick by. Um, now, moving along, if you saw any of the news last night, you'll have seen the story of the Nightingale Nursing Home in Galway, uh, where they were dealing with a major outbreak of COVID-19 among staff and residents. Uh, Director of Nursing at the Home, uh, Patricia McGowan, who was self-isolating at home was forced to take to the national airwaves yesterday to plead for help and she spoke very passionately on the hard shoulder on News Talk about how elderly residents in private nursing homes have been forgotten about uh, so that's, uh, that audio has gone all over the place and uh, we wanted to talk to uh, talk to Tyg Daly from the Nursing Home Ireland who is on the phone Tyg, good morning, how are you? Good morning, I'm, I'm well, thank you. Uh, Tyg, uh, from listening to Patricia yesterday and uh, from her plea to get help uh, yeah. for her nursing home, she's struggling to get the right help and support um, given the numbers of staff affected. So what support would you like to see put in place for nursing homes? Like it's a desperate situation, Tyg, again, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yesterday's news was very, very distressing for all of us. Uh, right across society, but particularly those of us working in, in, in health and indeed in the nursing home sector. I mean, things have improved greatly over the last number of months, but clearly uh, yesterday's uh, case highlights again that we cannot, uh, we have to redouble all our efforts to ensure that uh, when when a case arises like that and with large numbers of staff out, uh, that we have the available staff coming from, from other sources. And that is the single biggest challenge, you know, for nursing homes. Serial testing is ongoing. Uh, and indeed PPE is not an issue. Uh, the single biggest challenge now is that when staff 
who are caring for older people themselves get infected and they have to self-isolate, uh, it obviously creates a huge challenge. Uh, and unfortunately, there are no army of staff over the, over the hill, as it were. Uh, but clearly, working with the HSE uh, and working even with other members, it's important that we can mobilise uh, the, the staff to be able to support any nursing home that's uh, in that particular situation. The Chief Operations Officer, the CEO of the HSE, Anne O'Connor, said the HSE would be helping to staff the facility in Galway over the weekend. Uh, but yeah. on a wider point, she told RT last night that the HSE is challenged uh, in relation yeah. to agency staff and has found that many healthcare workers don't want to go into a place with an outbreak. So do, like, do you accept this? Well, I mean, that's it right across the health service. I mean, I just checked figures there before I was speaking to you, and there's 21 uh, acute hospitals with, with an outbreak at this point in time. Uh, there's about 40 or 41 nursing homes with an outbreak. So um, I, I think that's a feature. Uh, but I would uh, say in, 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 to, in counterbalance is that the vast, vast majority of nursing uh, care assistance and indeed housekeeping, catering right across the health service are getting up every morning to do what they do well, which is look after uh, our sick and vulnerable older people. So I think it may be a feature, uh, but it's definitely not a big feature uh, of the situation because, uh, you know, right since early March, uh, staff have been the, the heroes and the heroines uh, of this fight and battle against COVID. Uh, so uh, we cannot in any way be complacent, as I said, uh, but it's important to support staff as well, and uh, both in terms of practical but also psychological support for staff, because what staff have been through over the last number of months uh, has and continues to be very challenging. Tyke, the home in Galway, they were they were waiting on, on two agency staff yesterday morning to help out. Apparently, they didn't turn up. So yes. is this a widespread problem where agency staff are booked and they don't turn up, and that, that uh, throws an awful spanner in the work? It, uh, yeah, well, I, I mean, I'm learning of some of the detail of that particular case, uh, like yourselves, through, through the media, unfortunately. I think it's unfortunate that it hit that particular, because it is worrying for, for people who have family members in nursing homes. So I think it's important to put some context in it. I mean, there's 570 nursing homes across the country. Yeah. Thankfully, the vast, vast majority uh, are COVID-free. And even those with COVID, they're, they're managing. Uh, in this situation, when you have large numbers of staff out, no service. Uh, whether it's public, mm-hmm. private or voluntary or whether it's acute hospital, uh, can cope. And yes, I, my understanding is that I think the HSE had promised uh, two staff yesterday and those staff didn't show. My information this morning is matters are back uh, in a steady state, as it were, uh, and staff have uh, both from the nursing home, from the HSE, and indeed some people who are maybe retired, uh, they've had lots of offers of support. So uh, I think the, the, the response from the public at large has been has been uh, right and appropriate. Um, and, and that's what we need to do now, I suppose, is ensure that we don't get to that situation in any nursing home or any hospital or in any setting. And that's why it is critical that we get the, the virus back under control in the community, because what we saw in July and August was the clusters were closing pretty much every single day. Uh, we were down to 26 clusters at one stage. Now the figures are going in the, in the wrong direction again. And that's purely because the virus is out of control in the community. So getting it back under control in the community is the key element to uh, protecting the health service and protecting our older people. Are you afraid that we're heading back into the same similar situation that we saw back in March and April? And do you think it's going to be less equally or more severe? Well, I'm not a, a public health expert, but I am concerned about what I hear when I hear Dr. Holohan last evening, uh, Colin Henry from, from the HSE and others, when they're saying that uh, I, I've been out on many programs over the last number of months uh, and I have declined from using the word inevitable because I don't, I suppose I was um, 
uh, trying to avoid that particular ward. But I think there is an inevitability around it getting into nursing homes, uh, unfortunately, if it's very high in the community. Uh, what we need to do now is ensure that we have the serial testing ongoing so that we can detect cases early and take residents, uh, care for residents and take staff out. Um, so what I'm seeing at the moment is, is very, very concerning, absolutely concerning. But uh, I would hope uh, with the efforts of everybody that we won't revisit the position we had uh, in the early part of the year. And that's a responsibility on everybody. That's a responsibility on all of society to adhere to the public health measures. Because as I've said, if, it in, if it's out of control in the community, then, you know, any health service, uh, any nursing home, uh, any acute hospital will struggle uh, with the nature of the virus and, and the, the virulence uh, of this particular strain. Tig, thank you very much for taking a call and keep up the great work. Thanks for uh, having a chat with us on the Opinion Line. Cheers, thank you indeed and stay safe. Thank you. You are listening to highlights from the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. To hear the full show, download the podcast from iTunes or c96fm.ie. The guard the checkpoints across the city and county is part of Level 5 Lockdown Part 2. Have annoyed some of you with the long delays reported in some places. Let's speak to uh, James Hallahan from the Roads Policing Unit. Morning, James. Morning, Casey. How are you? How are you this morning and your listeners? I hope they're well. Uh, we're, we're good. Uh, we're, keep, we're keeping fine. I know things are a bit busy in your department this morning. Um, James, there isn't a lot of love out there for these checkpoints. Uh, I can um, well imagine. Yeah. Um, I suppose yesterday morning, it was the first morning of the checkpoints. Um, so it did, I suppose, hit people hard yesterday morning, especially those travelling to work from um, the county area into the city. Yeah. Uh, we have 10 static checkpoints across the city and county. Um, from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day for the next six weeks as part of level five restrictions. So, again, they would uh, impact. They're all on the main arteries in around the, the county and city. So, they will unpa- impact on people travelling in and out of the city and in around their own localities as well. Yeah. Can I, Can I tell you what I saw yesterday? Right from from being a driver, I, I drove down the South Ring from uh, the first exit of Carrick Tool on the Middleton side to the second one and. It was uh, a probably a kilometre or behind me there was another kilometre of a tailback. It was pushed down into one lane from two and I thought, mm, maybe road works. And then that one lane that was open was funneled down to where you'd completely blocked off the south link. You couldn't go any further. So you were forced to go off the second exit to Carrick Tool to go around the roundabout, which was one guard was on the roundabout waving everybody around to go back onto the same road three feet later. And the only people that were being stopped were people that were coming out of Carrick Tool Village that... It made no sense. Why was one? Why why was traffic rerouted for from a different road that was being uh, that was being stopped? It didn't seem to make any sense. Well, again, and I suppose the, the checkpoint locations that we've we've looked at, they're on the main arteries. We have traffic management in place at those locations for the safety of our own members as well. Uh, we have to look at the volumes. We have to get. I suppose the, the purpose of the checkpoints is to ensure level five restrictions are in place and people adhere to them. Um, so again, and I suppose we are looking at it, all locations just again to, to see are they fit for purpose. But I suppose yesterday morning, um, because of the volume of people travelling to work, um, it was the first morning of these new restrictions. So people, I suppose, didn't expect it to be that severe yesterday morning. And I suppose that's why there was tailbacks. But again, as I said, we have to go back to level five restrictions. We have to, again, reinforce the message to the public that if you are travelling, it has to be for an essential purpose. You should restrict your movements within five kilometres unless it's work-related. 
um, or if you're travelling to school or dropping kids to school. So again, I suppose, look, yesterday morning it was... Uh, uh, it was just there was a lot of traffic this morning. Uh, I was around the, the city checkpoints myself this morning, and the traffic was flowing a lot freer. And the volumes that were there yesterday weren't there this morning. So I suppose uh, people have made alternative arrangements. And again, where we would again ask people where you can work from home, you should be working from home as per the government guidelines, and that would allow essential workers. And, and I suppose we we were getting. Uh, complaints yesterday from essential workers that were being delayed yeah. and again that was unfortunate um, and again I suppose when we were engaging with people that uh, some people um, you know their journey wasn't essential so they shouldn't have been travelling and that's that's an issue and that's an issue for the travelling public that people are travelling when they shouldn't um, and again we would ask people uh, which is very evident this morning is it, we're going back to the letters and IDs that people are when they come up to the checkpoint, they have the letter out, they show the guard uh, up to the window of the car and they're being waved through or their IDs to show that they are essential workers and they're being waved through. So, yeah. again, it's, we're back to that space, unfortunately, and we just, again, we would ask people to be patient with us. Um, again, as I said, the volume of traffic, it's it's a different uh, scenario from March, April, where we had a complete lockdown. Um, level 5 restrictions do, leave, do allow people to be on the road a bit more and the volumes of, of traffic on the road reflect that and so we, we have to plan for that we have to manage that as well I've seen people pull in uh, cars before I've seen guards pull in the cars before on, on that south link and they pull them into the hard shoulder and they might pull in four cars and they might be doing you know checks for whatever in, in normal situations why couldn't you have done that and let the rest of the traffic go because for example if a woman was in labour and was driving to the hospital yesterday morning she was goosed because there was no way she could go forward or back in that tailback so why can't you let the traffic flow and pull in and spot check people and that will still be a deterrent that can be a deterrent. And again, yesterday morning, um, as I said, it was the first morning of it. We had high volumes of traffic. We are very aware if people are stuck. Uh, we have emergency vehicles as well that we're very conscious of and that uh, we do get phone calls. And if people are in that situation, obviously enough that we make allowance for that and we get them through as quickly as we possibly mm-hmm. can. So look, again, as I said, uh, just this morning, yesterday was, I suppose, an extreme example of I suppose high volumes of traffic. It was the first day of these of the level five restrictions, so we had higher volumes yesterday than uh, we not we expected, but we expected high volumes of traffic. Um, but people this morning, as I said, made alternative arrangements. They didn't travel if they didn't need to travel. Um, so that did make it a lot easier for traffic flows this morning. James, we we, we like we don't want this to be a Garda bashing no. uh, uh, interview, but um, you know, obviously, there's a lot of frustration out there, and you guys have a job to do. You're under instruction to do a job. I think the public get that. Why rush hour though? Why do we why do we have to do this when when it's peak? Well, again, and I suppose the we have to get the message out, and this is I suppose when we. Uh, we look to government, we look to Neffet, we look to Dr. Hoolan and his team. Uh, the country is at a critical juncture yet again. We're at level five restrictions. Um, we are telling people and we're advising people through our engage, educate and, you know, advise people. Just look, these are the regulations. These are the restrictions that we all have to abide by for the next six weeks. It's for the betterment of the community. Uh, we're not looking for confrontation. We're looking for people to abide by the restrictions. And yes, we, we have to be out there. We have to be seen to be out there. We have to be engaging with people and tell the people that are not uh, or 
going on a non-essential journey to look. Um, you're ruining it for everyone else and you need to stay at home where people are can work from home. Uh, they should work from home. And that's the very much the message. We shouldn't... Yesterday was uh, the first day of the restrictions. Yeah. Um, today, the traffic flows were a lot easier because, again, people... Um, took the advice on board, they saw, yeah, we're going to be stuck in traffic. Do I really need to come into work? Uh, can I work remotely? Can I change around my, my times? Um, and that has worked very well this morning. James, thanks so many for taking the call. I know it's stressful for everybody. It's stressful for you. It's stressful for drivers. Um, and we all have to kind of find some kind of a compromise and make sure that it all works as, as best it can. Hopefully, we'll get there over the next couple of days and over the next few weeks. Uh, but thanks for taking the call. No problem, thank you. Take care of yourself. Okay, uh, James Hallahan from the Roads Policing Unit here in Cork. Um, messages in, what have we got? You cannot rely on spot checks because it is clear from past experiences people are going to take a chance. Uh, and somebody else on Twitter says uh, they should just take the N out of Fanacht and that would give a good example <laughs> of how it's running. <laughs> <laughs> Taxi driver listener says to us, do the guards not realise the effect of being stuck in long queues, exp- uh, you know, especially when you have special needs children on board? Um, that comes in from a listener this morning. It completely freaks them out, it says uh, here. Um, and, and you're right, it's the emergency issues as well yeah uh, you know um, okay I think there has to be a better way of doing things but uh, as they said they're trying to uh, examine everything mm-hmm. and have a look at uh, where it's been affected the most and ease up on those checkpoints there uh, if possible it's 11.30 on the opinion line if you've anything to add to that 0833 96 96 96 that is the number Halloween we'll have a chat about Fiona or with Fiona about Halloween next I won't press the red button. Why should they put the red button there if you're not allowed to press it? I feel like it's like when an animal sees like an orange and black frog and knows not to eat it. Frog? Are you actually comparing our Saturday show to a bear not eating a frog? I'm just saying that's why I don't press the red button. So good! Lorraine and Demi. Lorraine and Demi. Live. If you want to hear me trying to figure out what's going on in Demi's brain, Saturdays, tune into us to see what else Demi figures out. Lorraine and Demi. Live. Saturdays, 2 to 6 p.m. On the best music mix. Corks 96 FM. This is Corks Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 On Corks 96FM. Good morning from the Opinion Line. Casey and Ross in for PJ Coogan. I hope you're all doing okay out there. Looking forward to some sort of a bank holiday weekend. I mean, you know, asleep in a Monday is something to be excited about, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, our text number is 0833 96 if uh, you want to get in contact with the show. Coming up, Dermot Bannon is going to talk to us uh, from his incredible, well he's got an incredible home I'm sure, but his TV show Incredible Homes Mm -hmm. is on Sunday night on RTE for you to check out. This time Dermot's going to be down in Goline, down in West Cork. Yeah. Uh, we got a texter in, which yep. I just thought was too good to pass up. Okay. I was stopped at Operation Fanoc check- Checkpoint yesterday, and the guard asked me to turn up my tyre so we could inspect the tread and wall. I asked him, do I have COVID-19 on my tyre? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not the time for it really, is it? No. I know it's got to be done, no. it's very important and everything, but uh, yeah, just more, more reasons why people have been late in the morning. Uh, it's almost Halloween. And uh, let's have a chat. Well, we won't have a chat for her. She's put a little package together for us. Uh, Our senior news reporter, Fiona, has been investigating. Are people looking forward to it this year? They're creepy and they're cookie. A unicorn. How are you going to do that? 
buys it already. Oh, how do you confess on those? It's the same. Choo choo Thomas. Uh, get on the classroom. Uh, ghost. Um, it's black and it has a skeleton in it. Despite the lockdown, these kids have their Halloween costumes ready and while most of the traditional events have been cancelled this year, there are still some ghoulish activities happening here in Cork. We hope to have a skeleton boat, a mast and some other bits and pieces along along the route from the butter exchange right down to the river. The Dragon of Shandon Parade has been cancelled but the crew at Cork Community Art Link will be placing their magnificent pieces along the route from tomorrow until the 31st of October. Michelle Moriarty says people can enjoy it in a safe way. People will be able to walk along in their own time and spot all the different installations along the way. So hopefully you'll be able to spot everything. It'll be all nicely lit up and hopefully look a little bit scary and a little bit eerie. And if people can't get into the city because of the travel limits, Michelle says they can see a along with many spooky craft ideas on their website. If people want to take part in actually learning how to make the skeletons um, there are different tutorials on there and we will also be videoing different parts of the installations as they go together and get lit up. And what's your website? Uh, www.corkcommunityartlink.com Artist Grace Mitchell has been telling me about Blarney Abu. What we want people to do is create some Halloween themed art. Um, it could be pumpkin carving or maybe a painting or um, decorations, anything really, but to put it kind of at the front of their house, just to kind of spread the, the kind of Halloween joy, <laughs> fear, scariness, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then we're going to put all of the photographs that are sent in to us up on the Moscow News website. And she has some ideas to get people started. There's loads of like YouTube tutorials and kind of like just Google Halloween craft and Pinterest will bring up several million images of things that you can do. <laughs> it's good going. Zombies are not perfect anyway. And they shouldn't be. And you know, it's it's going into your sock drawer and making a spider out of an old pair of tights or going into you know the recycling bin and just digging out things and, and, and you know going at it. There will be prizes for the best display and Grace says they'll also happily accept photos from people from all over Cork. The UCC Environmental Society has come up with a way of getting students together this Halloween as Isabel O'Connor Seely explains. It's going to be like a live call over um, Google Meet so people can just tune in and um, they can have their mics on or off like whatever people are most comfortable with. And just get nice and cosy and carve pumpkins all together. Maybe have some chats and stuff. And they'll also have some tips on what to do with the pumpkin leftovers. Pumpkin seeds are really good for pets, like cats and dogs and stuff. Or they're great for bird feeders, especially this time of year, like it's so cold. Um, My friend as well, Vicky, she was going to do a little presentation about um, making like a pumpkin puree that's really good for baking. So yeah, just like trying to like use up all the pumpkin maybe after you've carved it, maybe trying not to just put all of it into the bin. That event takes place at 6pm next Thursday on the UCC Environmental Society Facebook page. Thank you very much Fiona Corker and it's uh, the Opinion Line in Cork's 96FM. What are you planning on doing? Uh, I don't know. We're, 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 we're definitely going to do that trick-or-treating around the house thing. Yeah. Where that uh, we just keep running from door to door inside the house. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good thing to do. Oh, use the doors of the house and yeah. uh, you know have a little treat behind the door. And yeah. I think I think uh trick or treat boxes. Yeah. I think like an actual goodie box uh with all the stuff in there I think would be okay. uh, would be a good one as well. And then we'll just play a couple of games, play some music, maybe watch a not so scary Halloween movie. Yeah. 
Yeah, nothing Freddy Krueger, Kruegerish. No, yet. but like you yeah. know the Bette Midler one, whatever it's called, yeah. Hocus Pocus, something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's great. Uh, the cheapest Halloween costume you can come up with. You ready for this? I think I bet you I've got a cheaper one. Go. All right, this is genius. Go on. White T-shirt. Yeah. Get a green marker. Yeah. Put a little green dot in the middle of the mm-hmm. T-shirt. Okay. Get some boot polish. And put a circle around your eye. What are you? Go cost, on. Cost you fiver. Go on. Black IP. I've got a cheaper one. Good night. You ready? Go on. All you need is a bit of sellotape. Go on. Right? One euro. Yeah. You put whatever clothes you have on, you just sellotape a load of pairs of knickers across the front of it and you're a chest of drawers. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and then the only thing you have to do is borrow some knickers That's off somebody. Yeah. No problem. Uh, you should never stop enjoying Halloween. It doesn't matter what age you are. You should be you should be enjoying Halloween till the day you drop. But yep. this little kid thinks uh, he's he's packed up or she's packed up. I don't really. I I stopped doing Halloween last year. Why did you stop doing Halloween? Uh, I, I was getting kind of too old for it. Wait, what age are you? Uh, ten. Ten. Almost eleven. All right. So what are you going to be doing for Halloween? So. Uh, I don't really know. Do you like Halloween? Yeah. Yeah. What do you like about it? Uh, the candy and the sweets. I'm all for the sweets. Yeah, I'm not not that bothered about dressing up. Yeah, you telling me you have to put on an outfit just to get fed? Come on, no lads. <laughs> Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96FM. Hi, it's Elmerie. Each week we bring you the latest news from our vibrant and creative communities all around Cork. Whether it's tips for the best live gigs online, new initiatives from Cork's writers and musicians, join Elmerie Mall and Connor Tallon as we work to support and keep the arts alive in Cork. The Arts House. Sunday mornings, 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes Cork. Fresh flowery and full of taste. It's at the root of what we do. On Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 On Cork's 96 FM. Casey and Ross in for PJ Coogan on The Opinion Line. King Coogan will be back on Tuesday morning just after the bank holiday weekend. Dermot Bannon's Incredible Homes is on Sunday nights on RTE1 and if you missed the first one, uh, you can listen and look back on the RTE player. Dermot Bannon, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you? Uh, great to talk to you. So many people were so happy to see you back on the telly. There was all kinds of tweets like, we're back to, uh, we've got a glimpse of normality. Uh, Dermot is back on the telly. It's some, some little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. So you do bring a lot of joy to people, uh, whether you know it or not. Well, thank you. Well, I, I, I was watching Twitter a bit, and normally you get loads of people giving out. You get half the people giving out saying, what's the state of that place? And I think they were a little bit afraid to, in case I'd go away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just yeah. kind of keep them in the room for the next hour. Uh, but, they, yeah, so it was nice to do it. It was a bit odd watching it, because obviously I filmed um, the first episode back in, in, in February, so... Yeah. There was all hugs and... Hugs and handshakes, which is weird, hands, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and kisses even, kisses. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it, it was odd watching that. The second episode, which is in Ireland, uh, we, hopefully you don't notice the social distancing, but we obviously had to... It was all about that. We, You know, it, I couldn't... Uh, every time I looked like I was uh, less than two metres walking behind somebody, I was somebody was screaming at me and roaring at me, get back, get yeah, back. Yeah. Like, Jesus, it's like being in the trenches here. Yeah. Um, and as so, but we we didn't make a big deal about it. Uh, we didn't try because I think people are, are kind of a little bit dated with the whole thing now, aren't they? And they're just trying to get through the next six weeks. 
Yeah. yeah, and it's a little bit of escapism as well to not have it shoved down your throat that, it, exactly. oh, it's social distancing and the whole shebang. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think cause I think we're all getting it. It's, it's kind of hard to watch the news now, isn't it? And all of the, the kind of current affairs programs is without getting really depressed. People are just fatigued with it all now at this stage. And yes. uh, they just want some sense of normality. But we have we have six weeks of it to get over and then we'll see how it goes. But at least yeah. at least you're back on the telly talking about <laughs> homes that we'll never <laughs> afford. Saving 2020. Well, we, actually, now, when we went, when we, actually, the Irish show... Yeah, and there are houses that you can't afford. There's one expensive house, but I, it was one that I I wanted to go to for the last ten years. It's a it's a house in Goline. So I don't know if anybody saw the show that I made about my own house, but I went over to the UK to meet an architect. Neil That's Patterson, right. Yeah, yeah. And he tore my drawings to shreds. Yeah. And he'd, he'd be kind of one. Of the, he'd be one of these people I'd, I'd shake when I meet him. He's um, a hero of yours, isn't he? Big time. Yeah. So, uh, he's designed a house in Goline. In, in West Cork. Yep. And uh, he, um, what you call it, he, I've been trying to get into that house on room to improve for the last 10 years and I finally got in this year so he didn't turn down the chance. Um, and that's, okay, so that one wasn't a cheap, cheap house. But like, we've got a farmhouse there that was 350,000 bills. We've got, um, so they're not expensive houses. Uh, they're different because like, if I go to Australia or if I go to California and you see a cool house up on the side of a cliff with a massive big balcony overlooking the sea, it's going to look great. But yep. you couldn't do that in Ireland yep. because not, it, there's not that many of them. But it's also, I wasn't learning anything from it. Like at the end of the day, this is me going on a journey to learn a little bit, normally about other cultures and other places. So when you come to Ireland, like I, I couldn't open it up and go, well, it gets really, really wet here. Mm. And so, they, you know, gutters are, are incredibly important in Ireland. Like half the stuff that you would normally do Incredible Homes is already done. Yeah, like I didn't mm-hmm. need to do loads of walking shots around Cork City and Dublin. So people know them. It's, it's we, we we all those bases were covered. So we kind of had to get straight into houses that were uh, that I could learn something for. So we, we went for stuff that is slightly different and um, a bit cool and um, made divide opinion uh, a little bit divisive. So there are houses that even some of the, 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 like the people working say, "Wow, Jesus." Wow, that house is weird, or mm. that house is, and and it was my job then to, to kind of to show them throughout the day. Um, actually, it's a really really cool house. So I think there'll be lots for people to learn, and there'll be, there'll be houses that they will not have seen the likes of before. Um, on this, because I think the easy thing would have been again just get the big house on the side of the cliff overlooking the sea. But like, there's only so many times you can walk in and go, "Oh wow, what a view!" You know, yeah. um, you know, and so with everybody in Ireland knows how spectacular this country is after this summer, as we've all kind of explored it a little bit. So I didn't need it needed to be something a bit more. So it was actually harder to make the Irish show than it was to make some of the others. Um, because the others, you can kind of, when you go to Sweden, say, God, it gets very dark here. Yeah. And half the people who were watching the show didn't know that. So you've mm-hmm. got, you're, you're, but everybody knows everything about Ireland at this stage. So it, it was a little harder. Now, I, I would, I, I'm a bit of a house fantasist. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm always looking at it. It's a thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's a thing. It's, it's a thing of, I'm not happy with my house and I want to go oh, to. No, that's a thing that everybody has. Exactly. Yeah. But. <laughs> Like in terms of watching Grand Designs and watching the uh, Channel Four Home of the Year and everything, and and yeah. your 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 new show as well, fantastic, uh, incredible homes. In terms of what makes a home incredible, because you always hear people talking about uh, the use of space, functionality, uh, light, all that kind of stuff. Like, what are the what are the kind of four pillars of what you would consider the things that must be there in order for a home to be you know oh. extraordinary? Okay, so for well, for let's for for a house to be good. And um, there's four kind of the three pillars I think are uh, number that's, one. That's not structurally safe. That's not structurally safe. You need three need pillars. You need four. Pillars. <laughs> you need four. Okay, three, three, three will do. <laughs> um, I suppose. Okay, four is um, four pillars are first of all light, 
and making sure, that, like, orientating your house so that get, you get nice light into the house because it makes all of us feel really good. And, and if you got that right in the house, you're, you're on to a winner. Second is functionality. Um, like, so many Irish houses are small, segregated rooms, good dining room, good sitting room, mm-hmm. kind of getting rooms connected and flowing so that houses feel a bit bigger. Um, as, yeah. and using all your rooms uh, number three uh, you're putting me under pressure number three would be views like if you think about it, every single incredible home that I ever go to every every single house you see in Grand Event they all have spectacular views or they all have a great view but even if it's only out to your garden and you do something with your garden that's a view we mm-hmm. kind of turned our backs on our gardens in Ireland for a long time you know the way the kitchen window is always a little bit higher because you need to get the kitchen sink at it yeah. and then uh, the, the dining table is shoved into the middle of the room and you can't see it over it so uh, let me so views and then materials like using really nice materials um, and thinking about what you use like I'm always kind of ooing and eyeing over the nice piece of marble or the lovely brickwork or the nice concrete so like just choosing materials that you're in love with yeah. and like we our own kitchen counter I spent three weeks uh, picking at the right piece of stone for that every morning I come down I look at it I'm in love with it like yeah. and I can just like I have to keep it to myself because the others just look at me as if I'm a little bit drenched in the house and I just say look it's not really nice look at that vein mm-hmm. It's quality of life, though, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's the little things that you get pleasure out of without actually having to leave your house. It is. It's, it's like buying. Do you ever get a really nice coat and it feels lovely and cosy on you and you like the material? It's, it's enjoying those things and like a, a nice piece of timber as opposed to a laminate that is a photographic piece of timber. Loads of people are going to hate me for that, but yeah. nothing wrong with laminate or anything like that. But yeah. I, if you can afford a nice piece of timber in your house, if you can afford a nice piece of stone, just somewhere. And they can. And the, the house, actually, the farmhouse that we went to in uh, Cavan. They put in the most beautiful, warm oak kitchen, but the rest of the house was like stuff out of a car park. There were concrete planks <laughs> that were lifted in by crane. No, but in a good way. Yeah, but yeah. all it shows is that this is the house that was one of the cheaper houses. That You don't need to spend a fortune on it, but just be really careful and have one or two nice kind of things in it that you're in love with. And then actually that can counteract. You can spend, you can do something really, really cheap for the rest of it. Um, so the, like it, 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 a, a little bit of something that you love can do, go a long way. Dermot, when you see people up in Dublin spending six, seven, eight hundred grand on and, a tri- and, and down in Cork, yeah, yeah, spending yeah. spending that kind of crazy money on yeah, a house, you're trying to divide the country already. <laughs> well, to be to <laughs> be fair, you can, you can buy a castle in West Cork for about four hundred grand. Uh, like, I mean, you know, the the difference in prices between different parts of the country. Yeah. Uh, do you actively encourage people to go? Listen, think outside of Dublin. Have a look around. Um. Oh, I, look, I, I, I. I, I suppose I don't really because that's not my role but I am seeing a lot of it now people coming into the office who are relocating down to the country yep. so there's lots of people young couples maybe have small kids parents live in Limerick um, or Cork or wherever and um, they've struggled uh, in the big city because their you know their, their budget won't stretch to a house that's that, that they'd like a bigger enough house mm-hmm. um, and but now what's happening is they're saying well, look we've been working from home for six months uh, we've been doing a grand job of it nothing has fallen away any chance uh, we can work from home um, permanently and maybe come up to Dublin or down to Cork or to Limerick for the meetings one, one day a week and bosses are saying yes and so what you're seeing is an awful lot of people moving back down home to where they have a family support and network and maybe like there's an awful lot of people uh, who work in Dublin and travel home for GA matches or to play in them because yeah. they're training with their local team mm-hmm. and it's allowing maybe a quality of life for somebody who might be pushed into a city and a city life 
and maybe didn't always love it and always a yearning to go back home. Like I know my my dad worked for Chagas and he spent nearly most of his life waiting for a post back down to Dungarvan and it never happened. But he, you know, so he was he if he'd been offered offered the opportunity early on in his career to go back down to Dungarvan, he would have. Um, but no, he ends up staying in Dublin. Most. So I think there is this kind of it's it's people the draw is kind of family. And, and friends and community uh, that they maybe are part of down the country. They might feel slightly alien. And like, cities now are a little bit on their knees as, as kind of their, you know, people aren't going into offices and things like that. We have mm-hmm. a big job to do at cities next year in getting them revigorated and all that. But I think there's an amazing opportunity uh, for small rural towns and villages to, you know, if people are moving back, maybe look at what they do at the village and, and, and maybe like, if this social distancing thing, thing is going to go on for a while, you know, like there's so many villages and towns have, you know, the widened out streets for, yep. where there would have been a market. You know, are we going to get tables and chairs out there? Are we going to start looking at what we do at our towns and villages? Maybe some of the empty buildings could become hubs. So if people are working from home and maybe you feel, okay, right, I thought this might be a really nice idea. It's lovely and isolated in here, but I could do it seeing a couple of people or working with people. Then maybe hubs might spring up and that people might work in there for one day a week just to meet other people or like-minded people or go in and have meetings in these places. There's, there's empty buildings in towns and villages all over the country. I'd love to do an experiment and move people back into towns and villages. You know the way yeah. 100 years ago everybody lived in, in the town mm-hmm. and only the only people who lived out in the countryside were people who worked on a farm or, li- or owned the farm. But I suppose as, as as housing buildings got cheaper people wanted their acre five miles outside the, the village. Yeah. But, you know, I'd love to an experiment if, if you could get maybe people who are living in a city who relocate back down to a town or village and then but maybe live in the town or the village above the shop or in, you know, these townhouses that are in it. And um, what would quality of life be like? I think it could be absolutely amazing because we generally prefer to be in smaller communities. We generally prefer, like you know, in smaller groups where we nearly know everybody. And I think for rural Ireland, um, it's a huge, there's, there's a massive opportunity in all of this, um, maybe to look at how at ourselves and, and how we live and, you know, is there a better way of doing it? Because for a lot of people, there was this, uh, for a lot of younger people, there was this kind of pressure to get on property ladders, there was pressure to move to cities. To, and it always felt like a bit of a compromise, never really living the dream. And I don't know, it, you know, what did Winston Churchill say? Let's not let, let a good crisis go to waste. Um, I think there could be something in how we live in this country that we can learn from this. Well, what we'll do is we'll get you a Cork Town, we'll nominate one, but the only condition is yeah. there's only one caveat that we have and that Go it's on. not called Incredible Homes, it's called Dace and Gaffs. Dace and Gaffs. Donald Bannon's Dace and Gaffs. I like the sound of it. Yeah. Uh, listen, great to talk to you. Thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to uh, have a chat with us on the show this morning. Dermot oh, Bannon's Incredible Homes is on RT right now and you can stream it on the RT player. Uh, check it out. Ha- Half nine this Sunday, and yep. we're in Ireland, and we're in Cork, we're in Goleen. Great, excellent. First episode, Disney yeah. Gaffs. Great to talk to you. Thanks a million, Dermot. Thanks, guys. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Talk to you soon. Thanks a million, Dermot Bannon.